0: I don't care who you are. If a supplement makes you feel more stressed, less safe in your own skin or affects your sleep, I don't care what benefits it has. That's not for you because those are the absolute pillars for having optimal health in the first place. One day I'm
1: like, okay, what is going on here? Like meditating every day, you know, grounding, breath work, sunlight, exercise, sauna. I'm doing everything. And all of a sudden I'm sitting with myself and I'm like, this does not make sense. Like I should feel like a God. And that's where it's like one of my favorite quotes is like when things aren't adding up, subtract.
0: And this is where we could go down the rabbit hole here. You know, let's do it. Those hallucinations people have on psychedelics, are they all really hallucinations or are they just tapping into different frequencies? I've also worked with some people that are angel whisperers or psychic mediums. And I've noticed they have a certain receptor mutation that hasn't really been studied at all, but they share it. And I wonder, is this making them more sensitive? And is that also true to some degree for schizophrenics? Is schizophrenia really hallucinations or just tapping into, the network of consciousness whoever you want to talk about it more easily. There's something there
1: beyond the intellect. Call it God, call it source, call it consciousness, call it oneness. There's something there. Why is it so far-fetched if you understand everything is energy to think about people who are schizophrenic as they just have an expanded range and they're tapping into things the rest of us can't perceive. You look at people like Da Vinci and it's like when you study their autobiographies, they were tormented, but that was their genius. Welcome to the Conscious Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Griff. I'm a conscious serial entrepreneur with a passion for wealth creation, sovereignty and natural law, spirituality and consciousness, financial literacy, commerce, investing, and the game of money. I am the founder of the Level Up Collective, a conscious wealth mastermind in which I lead countless others through the process of unlearning most, if not all, of what we've been taught about the world and the game of money, and then relearning what the rules of this secretive game really are, and how we can actually win at it. I was incredibly blessed to stumble across many of the secrets of the 1% at a young age, and rather than keeping it all to myself, I'm on a mission to share this information freely, with as many people as I can. This podcast is going to challenge the very fabric of your reality, and at times, you may find yourself running up against some of your deepest unconscious belief systems. I encourage you to give yourself grace, keep an open mind, and never just accept what I say as fact. Always do your own research. I never want you to just assume I am telling the truth. I am not here to convince or teach you anything, but rather to reflect back and remind you of things that somewhere in your consciousness you already know. Take what resonates, discard what doesn't, and enjoy the ride. Now let's get started. What's going on, guys? You guys are in for a treat today. We have a very special guest, someone whom I personally am working with and have worked with for a little while now, and I wanted to bring him onto the show and introduce you guys to an entirely new world of emerging medicine and health optimization. The person that I'm referencing is uh Dr. Tyler, who you guys should see on the screen today. I'm going to hand it off to him to give you guys a a little introduction as to who he is, what he does, and a little bit about what we're going to be talking about today. And then we'll go
0: ahead and dive into the juicy stuff. So, Dyler, how are you doing today, my man? I'm doing awesome. Excited to be here. Appreciate you uh, having me on, um, giving me a platform to share what I think is the future, just like you said, of uh, not only health optimization, but medicine as well excited to share a lot of really out of left field things. I like to tell people, I help people connect dots about their health, but really showing people dots that people just don't even know are even important or even on people's radars. So yeah, I have a PhD in pharmacology. So I was trained um, to basically design new drugs, new chemotherapy drugs, new immunotherapy drugs, I got into initially because I just loved neuropharmacology. So how drugs affect the brain, you know, making my own pre-workouts back in college and stuff. It was better than the old Jack 3D. Have you ever (laughs) taken that before? Back in the day? The the glory days. Yeah. 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 With the DMAA, (laughs) all that stuff and just getting stimmed up and learning how I could affect my body by what I put in it. Yeah. Work with all different cell types in the brain, anxiety, depression research, inflammation research. I did my thesis work on breast cancer metastasis. Um, but I realized pretty quickly that it's a broken system. I wasn't so interested in making yet another chemotherapy drug. Like, don't get me, don't get it wrong. We do need people paying attention to these things. But as I'm sure you're aware, probably a lot of you guys listening, the medical system is focused on keeping you away from death another day. I call that the red zone. It's like thinking about like a stoplight. Then you have most people in the yellow area or like the gray area, you could say, where people are not sick enough for the hospital. They do not feel good at all. You know, the brain fog, the joint issues, the waking up throughout the night, the anxieties, all these things that a doctor will give you another pill for. Um, And then you have a very small subset of people that are in the gray, sorry, the green area, which is really an optimal health, truly thriving each day. And I like utilizing genetics. So I left the conventional medicine space, but I'm trained to understand how cells function, cell biology, molecular biology. And I'm also trained to learn how things affect cells. Now, I took all that knowledge, that deep knowledge and applied it in holistic contexts and kind of what I do, what I'd call like holistic pharmacology. So understanding how supplements work, everything they do to your body, not just what they say on the label. Um, and I really do believe that utilizing genetics to figure out exactly what your unique cells need more of, let's give them more of that, and then figure out exactly what your unique cells need less of, let's limit or remove those, really can help a lot of people. If not get into optimal health, it can really help them dramatically and get them back on their feet. You know, in today's day and age, 2024, There's so many doctors out there, you know, screaming with their shirts off, you know, in the, in the grocery store and stuff, how, you know, their way is the only way this or that I'll never claim that genetics are like the only way for everybody, but I truly believe every single person's health ailments or symptoms have a genetic contributor. Now, is that 10% of your issue or 90% of your issue? I can't guarantee that. I really do think this is an entirely new layer that can be layered on top of whether you're a mold coach, mold detox coach, or whether you're a mindset coach, or whether you're a gastroenterologist, a gut health coach, knowing what your cells need more of and what you need less of, I think it's just invaluable information that can really add a whole new level of what I call is hyper-personalization. We can go into how, you know, what people think of personalized now, all the genetic companies and testing out now, I think they really fall short a lot of the time because they're trying to just mass produce. Pick your panel. You get the same exact reports for each person here. Take it, read it. It's like a big laundry list and people are very overwhelmed. Yep. So
1: I like how you lay that out. And you're not necessarily stating that this is the, you know, the only lens or the end all be all, but it's, it's another helpful perspective to kind of try on. And that's been my experience. Like I've, you know, and we'll get into this, but. You know, I've worked with uh, functional medicine practitioners. I've worked with root cause, naturopathic practitioners. Of course, most of us have already experienced Western medicine. I've done a lot of different um, holistic modalities and, and so on and so forth. And so, this to me was just another layer of a different way of looking at things that I hadn't explored before. And I find it absolutely fascinating. I mean, we'll get into some of the specifics
0: uh, in and which real quick, gonna, that, that that's yeah. a great, that's a that's a great thing that you said before. You know, it is just another lens to view through these things, you know. And like when I work with people, I'm a PhD scientist. I'm not a medical doctor. So everyone I work with, I make it very clear I'm not saying this is a full substitute for a medical doctor. You know, everything I talk about is for educational purposes to help you understand the language of your body better, but it's not a replacement for actual medical treatments you know if someone some people will reach out to me they have like oh my god you know i'm shitting blood every day all these like extreme things that i'm like listen i'm not your doctor for that you know you got to go see something where it's more urgent like that but when your health you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired that's where i i can really come into play and uh really help people out yeah
1: Yeah, I think that's a good reminder before we get any deeper into this. None of this is medical advice. Everything that we're going to be talking about today is for information and education purposes only. So just assume I know absolutely nothing and I'm incredibly unhealthy and so is Tyler. And we're just two morons who are going to have a conversation today.
0: Um, Well, especially in my line of work too, it's like people ask me all the time for general supplement recommendations. I get all these DMs. What do I help for panic disorder? This and that. I'm like, listen... I can't say that in good conscience because when you know as much as I do about supplements and how they interact with each person's unique genetics, what helps one person with their anxiety could make someone else way more anxious. So yeah. I can in good conscience give these general advice because I could be talking about a story down the road that may sound like you. I can't stop you from trying out some of these things, but just keep in mind, you, know, you can never be for certain if that's actually gonna help you. But I also teach people about conscious, supplement supplementation Mm -hmm. i need i don't just say here your pills take them i educate you what is this supplement doing in your body and what could that feel like if it's too much of it or too little of it she could become your own health advocate i don't think people should go running to a doctor or health coach every time they have a little minor thing hiccup a lot of the times it could be from taking the wrong supplement but sadly none of these functional medicine doctors or holistic practitioners there's no real formal training around supplements. Sure, some of them may say, don't know, we get some supplement training. I'm telling you, the layer I go into is a whole new world that I haven't seen anyone discussing. So again, I'm just here to spread my mission and educate other practitioners because there's so much unnecessary suffering and healing potential left on the table because of the improper usage of supplements based on general protocols. 100%.
1: Yeah, and I think this is a perfect segue uh, for me. I wanna start off by explaining a little bit of context for people of kind of where I was at, my a little bit of my background and and why I, you know, kind of reached out to you and such, because we're gonna be going into some specific examples. I know you wouldn't normally share these things, but I'm gonna I feel like it'll be helpful for my audience if we address a few specific things that throughout the podcast that like we actually worked on with me so they can have, you know, tangible things. So First and foremost, uh, I've been into fitness, health, biohacking, human optimization, brain optimization for 11 years now. Started out in the fitness industry, bodybuilding, powerlifting, all that. Realized, oh, fitness isn't the same as health. I may look like a Greek god, but I'm not necessarily healthy. Then got obsessed more with the human optimization side of things, right? Digestion, hormones, longevity, biohacking and that's that's been the rest of my journey where it's like okay I don't want to look like Adonis anymore <clears throat> that's not necessarily even healthy to try to maintain that uh, it's more so about longevity quality of life etc for me so it's been a, a long journey obviously I no longer do that that was my first uh, business and even though I no longer do that it's been a part of my daily weekly lifestyle I mean from from the way that I eat to the size of my supplement cabinet to the biohacking devices, to how much money I spend on my own health, and everything is from the lens of preventative, right? You're either going to pay early on or you're going to pay on the back end. And I'd rather pay early on to increase my quality of life, right? So that's kind of a little bit of background for my audience to understand where I'm coming from. Um, I know you already know that. Uh, One of the things that you had me do was send you all the supplements that I was taking. And I remember being like, damn it, (laughs) this is going to take a long time. So I mean my I'm not your typical like oh I'm unhealthy or you know I'm I'm overweight or oh I can't get out of bed in the morning type client. I'm more of the okay, I just love optimizing. I love learning new things. I love new perspectives. I'm interested in I think that everyone's perspective like you said, everyone thinks that their way is the way, and I've come to learn like just don't take that personal. Let them think that, but I work with all sorts of people, and I think that they all have value, and I kind of just accumulate and assimilate bits and pieces from everyone. So I really liked the lens that you brought to the table, and one of the things that stood out to me that ultimately um, led me to really want to work with you was you've made a number of specific pieces of content around how dispelling essentially myths around how certain um, health supplements or even things that are typically taken for stress or are, you know, adaptogenic or are longevity enhancing or whatever. The irony is that, you know, you were breaking down what they do on a cellular level and all of that. And I'm sitting here like going like everything he's posting, like I'm taking this and you're talking about how it's, you know, it's marketed as an adaptogen and how it it decreases stress and how it boosts this. And you're like, that's all true. But no one ever talks about this, this, and this, and I'm sitting here like, okay, because when you're into biohacking, essentially what you do is like you try shit on constantly. Your life is a giant self-experiment, right? I, and I'm real sure quick, you- I,
0: I, I always say my catchphrase is life's one big science experiment. So yeah. couldn't agree more with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So you, I was gonna say, I'm sure you can understand. So it's like what you do is you kind of try things on, and then like you might try ten things and in a a six-month period or something, right? And then you're like, okay, cool. Five were like solid, five were not worth the hype. Toss those, keep these. And then the next six months, you might try new things, right? You're always just iterating and doing your own experiments. And so over time, what happens is that you accumulate a lot of the things that worked. And so I came to you in a place where it was like, I was probably taking 40 different uh, supplements a day. And it's not coming from a place of like the idiot
0: who's just swallowing pills either. Like I'm like- you were taking a lot of like, good, like you weren't, you, and we could go into this more, you weren't taking any like garbage, useless supplements, you know, yeah. it was just a lot. And then some of the mechanisms of those were kind of feeding into some of the issues. And again, it's, it, it's not, is it right or wrong for you? It's all about pros versus cons, because knowing what I know about pharmacology and supplements, I can fear monger any supplement I want in a real, or I can make it sound like God's gift to earth, just based on what mechanism you're talking about and how you word it.
1: Yep. Yeah. And it's challenging because we're all up against our own biases. And when you're doing research and and when you come across supplements or when you're, you know, something comes on your radar and you you start diving into the research, you don't necessarily see all of the deeper perspectives, if you will. Like you, you brought some different things that we'll get into uh, in the conversation in a bit, but like this whole conversation around uh, adrenaline and around some of these other aspects. and And so to wrap up, you know, where I was at when I came to you, it's like, you're right. I was taking, you know, like some of the top of the line brands. These things are very expensive, very targeted, nootropics, peptides. I mean, this isn't your average, like go into CVS and buy a shitty brand that's full of fillers and stuff. Right. So I was spending a lot of money on this, but everything was targeted. And I could tell you the reason exactly for everything, what it was doing to my neurotransmitters and all of that. But what I was missing was maybe uh, this new lens. And so that was why I ultimately really wanted to work with you Because I got to a point where I'm taking all these things that should be having me feeling really um, resilient to stress really like flow state all day, really consistent high level cellular energy. And yet I started feeling like I was stuck in fight or flight all the time. And it wasn't making sense because I wasn't consuming caffeine. I, I don't live like your average uh, person, right? I, I'm not doing uh, my lifestyle doesn't consist of a bunch of unconscious behaviors where I'm slamming coffee and eating I- inflammatory foods and all of that. So that's just a bit of context for the audience around where I am. And and I also want to. To share that because maybe this isn't necessarily for you if you've never taken steps into health in general, right? I think that, and, and you may have a different perspective, but from my perspective, this is kind of like a thing for those that want to optimize, not necessarily something for someone who's like still eating McDonald's and stuff like that. Um, and so that's more of my audience anyway, is like people who are, you know, they've been on the journey, they're you know, they meditate. They're not. They're not drinking tap water. They're, <laughs> you know what I mean. They're they're aware of what's going on in the world, and they're making you know active changes to invest in that alternative medicine, holistic medicine, and all that. So, um, anything you want to you want to mention on that before I kind of ask you our our first question?
0: Yeah, and you know, yeah, I work with people from all different walks of life. You know, I do really like working with people. They fill different parts of my soul. You know, I love having the more intellectual conversations with more clients kind of in your situation. You know I mean? You could really nerd out over these things. Um, And I'll never be the guy that claims, you know, take my handful of supplements based on you and you could keep eating crap and not exercising, you know, but one thing I do like to tell people, I have worked with a lot of people. They fill out their diet. They're like, standard American diet, I know it could be better. And you know, yeah, I mean, they're they're eating a bunch of crap. They're well overweight. They're not taking care of their bodies. But the one thing I like to say is that I'll never claim that this will outdo a poor lifestyle. But some people are in such a big rut, telling them to do, you know, a 10 minute walk each day. They get anxiety, such bad anxiety. Even the thought of going to the gym is like conquering Mount Everest for them. So, what I like to say too is I've had people in that situation, and then when you give them, they don't have the energy to get out of bed in the morning. They're so depressed, they're in the rut, they can't, they they can't make a lot of money. So they got to keep eating crap. You know, it's a vicious cycle that, you know, once you hit a certain level of, you know, wealth or success or whatever you call it, it could sometimes be hard to resonate back to that. And that was a big changing point for me. When I started doing this around a year, year and a half ago, I had to kind of like re-resonate with people and realize, wow, people are stuck in these ruts and getting them these nutrients. It'll never outdo their poor lifestyle, but I worked with people, you get them the right nutrients they need. And that oftentimes can be the catalyst to get Mm -hmm. the momentum, break the inertia, get them out of that rut. They're like, wow, I had more energy today. I went for a 10 minute walk and the 10 minutes were up, I did a 30 minute walk actually, cause it felt good to be outside. So again, it'll never counteract that, but a lot of times that can be the catalyst to get people. Mm. I went to the gym. I did, you know, I, I, I did a very light full body thing. Even if it was like a 10 minute workout. And then I walked on the treadmill, but that feeling of accomplishment that they kind of conquered that hill. You know, they, yep. they got over the hump with that. Mm. Not always of course, but that can be the catalyst for people. To get them, there's like a certain threshold when people are stuck in, in action Absolutely. to get them into taking action. And regardless if you're unhealthy or not, even horrible lifestyle or not, if your cells are hardwired to have a very reduced ability to properly process vitamin D, even that supplement you're taking, you can't process very well. If you've been living with a vitamin D deficiency throughout your entire life. What is that linked to? Anxiety, depression, getting sick a lot of the time, poor bone health. Um, now. We give you that, that nutrient your cells have been starving for throughout your entire life. And then boom, that next day or one or two days, some people are like, wow, like a light switch went off for me. Now, again, that didn't undo all the inflammatory cytokines and the obesity, all these different things. So you see what I'm saying? Getting the right nutrients can really be that catalyst. And these mutations I focus on, people think of genetics, they think of a one in a million mutation. Most of my clients, after they, we talk for an hour, they're like, is everyone else this fucked up? because it's literally me just telling you, you know, all the genes that we're trying to work on. But I st- I focus on mutations that sometimes 80% of my clients will have that mutation. So this is why I firmly believe I can make any human being feel noticeably better. It just mm-hmm. depends, of course, it to be realistic though, it depends... How much better are they going to feel how quickly, depending where they're at currently, where they want to go. Not everyone wants to be totally optimized dialed in. Like I know you and I, and probably a lot of your listeners listeners want to be, some people just want to not have knee pain so they can play with their grandkids and they get yeah. that. And then happiness is the goal. You know what I mean? Yep. Our goal, happiness to us is attached to optimizing, but as long as you're happy, yep. that's the end goal at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. I appreciate you you sharing that with me and and reflecting that perspective because it's definitely uh, a reminder that we all live in our own our own echo chambers and and you're the one with the you know boots on the ground having this kind of experience and even when I was doing fitness like I've always chosen to work with an ideal client who is not Gen Pop so I can be a bit detached from gen pop. Though I know statistically, I'm very aware <laughs> that that's a, a big realm of the research that I do with with our brand and such. I'm very aware of statistics of how bad the middle class is doing and, and so on and so forth. But in terms of, of the average person, that's definitely a helpful perspective. And it reminds me of kind of the science, you're essentially describing in, in layman's terms, the science of of how habit change actually works. And it's like, you have to create a positive feedback loop, right? And so even if it is starting with you to help them create that first little dopamine hit of like, wow, this was the first time I went on a 15 minute walk and actually enjoyed it. And then those endorphins make them want to do it tomorrow. And this is the nature of how you actually create change. So I'm I'm glad you bring that up. The first thing I want to dive into is, can you break down for us in simple language, why genetic mutations happen? Are we born with them or do they occur throughout our life or both? Where they come from and then is this something that we all have and if so, to what degree?
0: Yeah, so great question. So mutations can either be inherited. Those are pretty much what I focus on in my practice then he could ha- also have what are called de novo mutations, which means from anew in Latin. Now, de novo mutations can occur from many different things. It could occur from carcinogens like alcohol. You know, fetal alcohol syndrome can be mutated as that fetus is developing. Mm. You also have things like asbestos. You have uh, a lot of different chemical mutagens, like uh, different polyaromatic hydrocarbons you could have from eating super charred and burnt meat. Now, mm. You could also have mutations that make you more prone to that. So a lot of these different issues can stem from the mutations can make it more likely to have these things actually occur. Um, certain viruses can actually incorporate their own DNA into your DNA and change your DNA. Wow. Um, now, if you think about it this way too, I do a cheek swab test or saliva test. So those are the inherited mutations that we talk about. That's what I focus on in my practice. now. If you get a de novo, de novo mutations can occur during fertilization, during when you make a sperm or egg cell. But if you get a de novo mutation throughout your life, that's called a somatic mutation. That's the beginning of cancer. Mm -hmm. So people ask, you know, the DNA test will never change from when you're born until the day you die, unless technically you had like mouth cancer. Can you see what I'm saying? If you had like a like skin cancer or brain cancer, we're not getting cells from either of those organs. So it wouldn't show up on this genetic testing. Mm. Um, the company I used to work for as a data analyst, we were sequencing cancer cells to figure out what type of chemotherapy drug or radiation make, makes the most sense. But I was doing that staring at cell sheets all day and I'm like, don't get me wrong, we need this science. But why don't we sequence our healthy cells Right. Most of the mutations I study that are very common are linked to cancer. Now, it may not be as significant as like a BRCA gene mutation. A lot of people hear with breast cancer, but these we know that low vitamin D is linked to virtually every type of cancer. So if you look deeper, mutations that affect vitamin D are also linked to this because these mutations make you more prone to low vitamin D over decades and years can be linked to mm. cancer, Alzheimer's, diabetes, any disease you pretty much can lead to low vitamin D. So these mutations that I focus on are inherited, but now if you think about it, these de novo mutations—the mutation had to start somewhere. You know, some individual got a random mutation. Now, if you think about the evolutionary, per- evolutionarily perspective, actually, I'll give you a good example. So, um, the general consensus for evolutionary biology is that Homo sapiens originated in Africa and we dispersed across the land bridges, and this is how we inhabited once all the continents were connected. It is thought that a de novo mutation in the dopamine four receptor gene. So this is a certain receptor that senses dopamine. A mutation occurred. This is linked to a lot higher increased curiosity and desire for novelty. Mm. I had this mutation personally, and I am always looking at what people are doing. And I'm like, let me do something different. Hence what I do for for a career (laughs) now. Can relate. Um, (laughs) Yeah. and, And it's thought that the people, the individuals that had that mutation when they were in Africa, they were more likely to say, hey, what's over there? We've never been over there. Let's go check it out. So then you had groups of early ancestors with that gene that were more likely to go explore and less likely to be afraid. They go out and explore these areas. So that can kind of give you an example how the de novo has to occur initially at some point. Mm -hmm. Then the people with those mutations have to survive. Some other examples are... um, Areas of ancient populations that had, that consumed higher starch. So if you think areas that have more agriculture, ate more rice versus like an Inuit population up in the polar areas, all they ate was blubbering at mammals. Yeah. The people that had more, ate more carbohydrates, they have higher expression of amylase, the gene, which helps you break down carbohydrates and diet. So the people, I bet there were people in those early places that had a lot of carbs starches that didn't have the mutation. Famine was very common ancestrally. So a famine would hit. Who would be the first people to die? The people that can't digest and absorb calories or nutrients from carbohydrates as well. So you see how over time we would have these random mutations. Sometimes it would serve us and then that would perpetuate. Then sometimes it wouldn't serve us. Those individuals would die. That's natural selection. It's just crazy that nowadays there's really no natural selection occurring because now with modern medicine, you can have the most fucked up genes in the world. And now they're making ways to literally cut out your genes and edit them to get rid of your disease in the first place on top of all the medicine. So there's no real selective pressure now, but mm. to answer your other question, everyone listening has millions and millions of mutations. That's not even enough for discussion. Wow. And every single person listening, I have to make heavy cuts to figure out, you know, we had an hour long call. I could have talked to you for ten hours about your genes, but then you're going to be overwhelmed. You're going to get 300 supplement recommendations, and I want to try to streamline it. That's part of the issue with the genetic space. Okay. Now, that would have been my wet dream, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you probably would love it. Some people, some people are hours, like, "Let's yeah. go." <laughs> so, some people are like, "Oh my god, that was mind blowing as is." You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, um, no, it was
1: a lot for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, and um. Everyone has so many of these mutations. It just depends for some people, you know, people ask, do I have this mutation? Well, any gene can be mutated in 20 to 30,000 different areas. So everyone has a mutation in every gene. That's not even up for discussion, but does that mutation actually cause a negative effect? And how many mutations do you have? Mm. So I'll work with people, you know, a very commonly discussed gene that people talk about is the MTHFR gene. Yep. Um, probably the most discussed one. So I'll use that 100%. as an example. I would say 90, 95% of my clients have an MTHFR gene mutation, one that actually does something. Now, you can have up to four mutations there. Okay. So you can have your MTHFR either work roughly 20%, 40%, 60%, or 80% as well as it should. Mm-hmm. So the question, if, you don't, if it's only 20% less active, may that not was be a what huge mine of a was, deal. I
1: believe, was just. I think you said it was 80% working well, but 20% off.
0: Yeah. And that's the most minor form you could have. I work with other people that are 20% as active and they usually have a lot more of these mental health type issues. So that's why I say everyone has so many of these mutations. It depends though, if I'm used to seeing two to four mutations on a gene and you show up with 10, I am like, oh my, I'm not happy to see that you have the mutations, but I kind of am because- that means that it's gonna really change your life. Yes. Because I'll be honest, some people I work with, they more so have lowish, moderate amount of mutations on many different genes. I can still make them feel better. But when I see those clients that have crazy synergistic mutations bottlenecked on one gene, I am like, oh my God, this is like a massive blockage for them. So since that blocks them from turning A into B, I give them B. And their life has changed sometimes, you know, this isn't standard for everybody, but especially for anxiety and depression, I have people within a day or two, starting out on the protocol, they email me like, I'm sobbing right now because this is the best I felt in my entire life. I didn't think this was possible. Thank you so much. Now I'm not going to sit here and tell you that's everyone all the time, it yep. depends on the individual, but those people that had more messed up synergistic mutations can benefit that much more from these things. Um, and I'm trying to think if there's any other part of that question you asked, but, uh, so I asked, uh, why they happen. I
1: think you covered that where they come from. I'd say you covered that. And then is this something we all have and to what degree? And I say you covered that. So solid. Yeah. There's, there's so much there. Um, yeah, I find it fascinating. The, of course the MTHFR is, is the most common. And so that has, that has a lot to do with, um, The ability to break down, is it folate and B12 or?
0: So it's the ability to activate folate. Okay. So, and it has to do with like methylation, right? Yeah. So methylating that folate molecule Mm -hmm. and methylation is a cycle. So I think I check around 30 or so mutations, probably across like eight different methylation genes. It's a circle. And this is what frustrates me too. There's so many people in the holistic space this is not a knocked anyone specifically, but they have a health certification license. They read about some MTHFR. They start giving genetic information and people can really give harmful advice based on that MTHFR. So I'll give you an example. One of the most common mistakes I see, people will see MTHFR mutation. They're like, okay, you need a bunch of methylfolate. You need a bunch of methyl B12. Well, the methylation also is what converts dopamine into adrenaline. So you and I, both have genetically slower breakdown of dopamine and adrenaline. Yeah. That's why we're out here putting our voices out. Usually, you're, usually, you're sometimes, usually not always more type A overthinker, more inquisitive, more exploratory, more excitable overall. Like if I get excited, I am like, some people gotta be like, yo, Tyler, tone it down. I'm like I can't. I'm just so jazzed up about this. <laughs> but then on the flip side, I'm more prone to anxiety as well. Yeah. So, I found about my MTHFR mutation. I have uh, I have two mutations, um, and this was years ago. I took an extra strength methyl vitamin. I felt horrific. I felt horrible because- Over stimulated? Over methylating. So now I was making so much more adrenaline from my dopamine, and I can't break down the adrenaline as quick. Yeah. So that felt very, really, really bad. But yeah. know, so many people, they see that, they just think more is better. Right. That's one of the biggest mistakes I see people make. I get them off so much methyl vitamins and they're like, oh my God, like I haven't felt this good in eight months. I'm like, well, how long have you been taking this multivitamin? Oh, my naturopath put me on it eight months ago. I'm like, well, there you go. And the crazy part is, is a lot of these practitioners, they'll just say, take more of it. They'll say, oh, you're detoxing something, take more. (laughs) And here's where, here's where the problem lies, you know, for you guys listening, a detox reaction basically means you have toxins or a virus or bacteria or mold inside of you, it could be inside of your cells. Detoxing means your cells can now have the materials to get it out of your cells, which is good, but then it's circulating in your bloodstream. So if your liver's not working properly, you may not be removing that from your bloodstream. So it just keeps mm. recirculating. So you got step one out of the way, but now it's causing all this chaos in your body. How do you, how can you tell if it's a detox reaction or if it's the wrong supplement for you? you need to understand supplements to this level and have the genetics to back it up. Mm. Because if you're taking a supplement that does not affect adrenaline at all, all it does is support liver function, let's say, or detoxification, and you feel more anxious, that's probably a detox reaction. But most of the time I see people will tell me, you know, oh, I've been detoxing for how long? For eight months, six months. I'm like, listen, (laughs) detoxing should be a few weeks and then it should subside. So you're not detoxing. You're on the wrong supplement. Your yeah. practitioner just doesn't fully understand supplements. They all mean well. This isn't like a conspiracy. They don't, they mean well, yeah. you will always be anxious on that supplement for the rest of time. So we remove that. They're like, oh, wow, it's a whole new world.
1: This is hilarious. Cause, uh, I have a joke with, uh, with my wife, Jack's about, uh, I tell her detoxing's a lifestyle. Because we're literally always just doing something, right? Uh But for whatever reason, whenever whenever I'm taking anything for detox, I feel good. I feel better. Uh, But I think that's rare. Like because I'm not you're, all, wait- you're,
0: you're I think you're also on the upper end of overall health as well. You know, you yeah, really do. So I'm your not body waiting well
1: until and- I'm like yep. destroyed to be like, oh, and then I have all these die-off symptoms and everything. Like I'm the dude who's like, oh, there's two full moons this month. Let's do another parasite cleanse yep. <laughs> or whatever it may be. So. Okay. And that's also funny. You brought up the, uh, like the more is always better. Cause uh, you can tell me, but I've found in my own, um, introspection and, and self-reflection that my personality definitely gravitates towards thinking that way. And I have to be keenly aware to check myself. Maybe it's a the high same dopamine. way for sure. Is it a high dopamine thing?
0: It's a high dopamine thing. And I always tell people too. you know, if you've really been in the biohacking space, like I joke with people, but I'm serious. I'm like, Listen, guys, like you guys are mean to me now, once I figured a lot of it out, like I didn't always have a PhD. I was always into supplements. I didn't always have the advanced understanding. So like I've been through hell and back with yeah, certain supplement just... combinations I'm <laughs> taking. Literally, I'm taking things that give me more ingredients to make adrenaline. Like I'll tell you, like I took L-tyrosine. That's oh, a building block to make me. adrenaline. I took that with green tea extract, which slows Ooh. down the breakdown of adrenaline. I took those two together I was so close to going to the hospital because I was literally, my heart rate was like <laughs> 170, like sweating. I like chugged, like I chugged like a bottle of CBD. I was throwing, nothing would cut through <laughs> it. And I see pre-workouts that have both of these in there together. And That's how very many people, yeah. it's crazy. Like even today, actually, I uh, I actually tried out uh, parazanthine today. I don't know if you ever heard, ever heard of parazanthine? No. So parazanthine is actually the metabolite of caffeine. And okay. now it's on the market as a purified form. And it's supposed to be a lot more dopaminergic than caffeine. So it's oh, like, geez. it's, so I tried it. The dose was a little too low. I went to the gym. I'm like, I still feel a little sluggish. Like I I have, I have like 200 milligrams of caffeine first thing in the morning. Get me going a little bit. I used to have so much more, but once you get the right nutrients, you don't need as much of that. So I go there and um, I'm like, I need a little bit more caffeine. I go to look, they have all the different energy drinks and pre-workouts. Like, you know, you could pick out there. Every single one had tyrosine yep. or rhodiola or green tea extract or astragalus. all of these things guys directly raise adrenaline. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying you can never have these, but if you're like me, I'd say 70% of my clients have one of those COMT mutations that we both have yeah. that raise it, make a sense of do adrenaline. Yeah. You and I, I think had a double mutation. So yeah. we're double at risk. Um, how many people take these things and like they're not even thinking it's the pre-workout and need to go on sleeping meds or anti-anxiety medications because it can last until you go to bed and you you just can't sleep. You know what I mean?
1: Yep. Yeah, I felt, I felt so seen when you told me about this gene mutation because I've always just been like, I'm sensitive to stimulants or whatever. But, you know, sometimes people will be like, really, like even that little
0: amount? And I'm like, yeah, like, I don't know what it is. Well, I think it's definitely that. I think it's that, but also we've always taken good care of our bodies. So we don't have inflammation to bog down. You know, we don't have, we don't have a lot of inflammation to bog down how we feel about things. That's why if you're like sick, you could have coffee. It doesn't really like wake you up because there's all this inflammation going on. Um, So yeah, I like to tell people too, the number one way I like to tell people if they have a slow COMT is, do you notice yourself getting more stressed, triggered easier than other people? And then more importantly, Once you're triggered, I'm sure a lot of you guys listening have probably done a lot of work on yourself to kind of tone your mind. So like I'll get stressed and triggered and very quickly, I'll mentally tell myself, I'm fine. Things are okay. Let's move on. Mentally, I'm fine. But no matter how hard I try, my body's like, oh, no, you don't. You got to suffer for another four, five, six hours, even though mentally I'm trying to be happy my body hangs onto the stress. Now my body's hanging onto the stress because that adrenaline we initially released does not get broken down as quickly. You know, Mm -hmm. years ago, I'd get, I mean, I still get some ruminating thoughts when I'm very stressed like that, I'm a lot better. You ever see that meme where it's the dog sipping coffee at a table while the house is on fire? Yeah, yeah, that's how it can kind of be nowadays because we're always gonna be sensitive to adrenaline. But if you notice yourself being way more stressed for longer, even though mentally you're okay that could be an issue with breaking down adrenaline and like that COMT gene it utilizes magnesium and it utilizes SAMe to function so those two things can help mm. i really like a lithium orotate personally i'm trying to remember i think that one you didn't you didn't feel very good on right you personally the lithium oh so we haven't we haven't caught up since
1: since our initial talk but it yeah, was yeah i think you sent an actually, email about that initially right it was actually the melatonin and once i cut that out the lithium is like my favorite
0: Oh, okay. Yes. We're on yeah, the same page. It's been very helpful. I'm up to five milligrams a day and it's great. Yeah. And, and that's really interesting because every other calming supplement you could think of or medication, whether it's a Xanax or a Clonopin or a Valium or Lemon Bomb or Theanine or Taurine or Glycine, these all work by supporting the GABA system. So they yep. boost up calming signals. Yep. Lithium, that gene, the COMT gene that is slow for us, it speeds it up. So rather than boosting the calming signals, it helps us chew through our adrenaline. So it's like, that's why it feels so good because you're not just masking the adrenaline, you're lowering the adrenaline in the first place. That stuff changed my life this uh this it's, past year. And it's crazy it gets a it's bad rap as changing. scary bipolar depression. Lithium's naturally found in our earth. It's naturally found in our bodies. People can be deficient in it. And they use crazy high doses for bipolar depression. But if you yeah. think about it, mood swings. From adrenaline spikes, from anxiety, mood swings are basically a minor form of bipolar depression, if you will. It's those fluctuations in mood. So it makes sense. Very, very low doses of this can help a lot for that. So glad you love that. That's my absolute, if I have a lot going on right now, I'm hovering. I took five milligrams a day. Last week, um, I was under a lot more stress. This week is a little more lax, So I go back down to four, three, two. I'll take one or two just so if I need more of a boost, but yeah. Glad you love that. I absolutely love that stuff. That's been a real game changer in my practice.
1: Yeah, it's been so good, good in, in the protocol on on days where, like you said, the adrenaline and even that awareness now, right? Instead of masking it and trying to take things that are more like gabaminergic or however you would. Which describe are great. Them. I
0: I do love those as well. But yeah, I like rather stopping the front end, the real cause right. of it. Like the call, the main cause of your anxiety spike is the anxiety spike, not so much. The lack of GABA, calming signals, can aggravate that. But at the end of the day, it's that huge adrenaline spike that's the real issue.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I definitely want to get into that in a little bit because I think there's some fascinating stuff to explore about lithium. But So a lot of my audience is going to be familiar with holistic medicine, root cause medicine, functional medicine, naturopathic medicine. What are some of the key differences in the way that someone who's trained in genetic and, as you would say, cellular pharmacology – is going to look at and approach things compared to someone who's trained at, let's say, functional medicine or naturopathic
0: medicine. Sure, yeah. I'll take it one step further. I'll give you an example. Let's start with conventional medicine. Then we'll go to holistic and kind of how I would approach things. So you go to the doctor. You can't sleep. They're going to just give you an ambient... Or clonopin or Xanax.
1: <laughs> let's, let,
0: let's just assume, and it's we're we're talking about mechanisms here. Mechanisms are the molecular pathways that that it affects. So they're going to give you something that either boosts GABA, like a Xanax or clonopin, or they can give you antihistamines to lower histamine. Those are also used. But you see how which one they choose is kind of just, they're just blindfolded throwing darts at a dartboard. Let's try an antihistamine. Come back later. Let's try a Xanax. Come back later. Now let's go one step further. You go to a naturopath or functional medicine doctor. You know, they could use some herbs to help with GABA. Or let's just say they go one step further. They run some tests. Turns out you have viral or parasites, let's say, which can affect sleep. What do you know? These release a lot of histamine. So you see how Let's just say you had parasites. The high histamine released to defend against the parasites is an excitatory neurotransmitter. So no wonder why you can't sleep. Conventional medicine just said, take a medication that blocks histamine receptors. We don't care what's raising the histamine. Let's just block it. Functional medicine would say, or holistic medicine would say, let's get rid of the parasite. Let's do a parasite cleanse. Now, a, a, a big trend I see, whether it's parasites or mold, I see a lot of people that they do like three mold cleanses a year. They keep getting sick with mold again. They get rid of it. It comes back. They get rid of it. It comes back to me. I view the root cause as why is your body such an ideal host for these things? Mm. Why is it that a family of five that lives in a moldy home? Why are two of them extremely sick? The other three are pretty much fine. Mm. Clearly it's not just the environment or the dosage of the spores you're inhaling. So I would look and see, okay, let's look at the pathway analysis. Instead of guessing what mechanisms are wrong, I'm going to look and identify the pathways. Is your histamine pathway, how messed up is that? How well do you break down histamine in your brain? Genetically, there's an enzyme for that, a gene for that. How well do you break it down in your gut? How sensitive are your cells to allergens? There's two main genes that affect that. And there's studies to back up all of these. If you have a mutated STAT6 gene, that means your cells are extra sensitive to allergens. It's linked to allergies. It's linked to a lot of histamine-related things like I think arthritis. I yeah, and it's pretty common. I have that one as well. And I'm, I'm a very high, I think I said you and I are both very high adrenaline, high histamine people. Yeah, That makes us very excitable and very dialed into things and very hard time turning off the brain. Um, So I would look at the pathways and is it a vitamin D thing? Is there GABA issues? Well, how do we support that? But I'd also be looking at things like the methylation pathway. So, I'm making your cells work better. Maybe your liver can't make phosphatidylcholine as well. Very important for liver, kidney, gallbladder health. Now, using this protocol alone without doing a specific parasite cleanse, I have had a lot of clients, they pass parasites just by giving the cells more of what they need. What they need. That that doesn't always happen, but if they can't actually pass the parasites, they do a parasite cleanse while on their personalized nutrients, they get rid of the parasite, but now their cells are more resilient. Yep. So when I work with people, I'm not gonna sit here and tell you I get everyone 100% better all the time. You know, that's a big red flag, but I can get them feeling better. They may do a specific cleanse with somebody else, but now they stay on my protocol. We're correcting the deficiencies. So then they tell me, I haven't been sick in a year since I worked with you. I'm normally sick three times a year. Yeah. So you see now the parasite it could be considered the root cause, but is the parasite the root cause if you keep getting them? Or yep. is it the underlying cellular biology that made you so susceptible? You know, obviously it's a mixture of both. You know, yes. if there were no parasites in the world, no one would get parasites. If there were no yeah. heavy metals, no one would get heavy metals. But the people that get heavy metal toxicity, are they really consuming that much more heavy metals than everybody else? Or right. Are their cells, genetically speaking, we know mutations make you more prone to absorb and hold on to mercury specifically or mm. arsenic specifically. So if I work with somebody and I see genetically they're more prone to holding mercury, I'll ask them, how much seafood do you eat? Right. And they tell me they eat a lot of seafood. I'm like, okay, let's try this baseline protocol, see how you do. If you're still not where you want to be, I'm very comfortable, get you feeling better. Then I'll send you to my hair tissue mineral analysis guy yep. to check for that. So I can also put you <laughs> Yeah, it's cool. So you can also put that point people in the next right direction.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love this. I can, as you're talking, I'm like, I can totally see why you do this as a career. Cause it's just, I'm nerding out on it and you're way deeper into it than I am. But for people that have our, our brain type, it's like the level of optimization you can achieve (laughs) from peeking under the hood at your literal
0: DNA is just like, how, how how does that not fire you up that that's my perspective exactly and it's like the more i learn it's the less i know too like i just feel like yep. i know nothing because there's because right now i've been doing i haven't been learning that much anymore because right now i do all the one on ones myself yeah, you're i'm applying. a one man show you're, right you're in now the season yeah i'm and i'm starting to exit that season one now working on building systems and a team because once i go back to learning it's really game over because oh, yeah. then i'm really going to be building even more panels i love what i do But again, I miss learning because I work now, you know, I'm, I'm seeing clients all day, every day, you know, I have my 12 week course that I started training some other practitioners and I love doing that, but I really want to make these panels and not always have just a deep dive. Sometimes I want to be able to work with, you know, mental health coaches and have them do a couple hundred bucks for a mental health panel. And if they want to do a one-on-one with someone from my team, they can, or here's your printout sheet. You know, I decided there's two ways I could run my business. I could either learn to do HTMA. I could learn to do all the functional labs. I could bring functional people on board and do it all in-house. Or I could outsource what I do and connect this to all the other practices. Now, I do want to bring a nutrition, I do want to build up my internal business uh practice to some degree. I want to bring a naturopath on board. I want to bring a nutritionist on board. But I think the way I help the most people and change the world is offering. What no one else is doing, how I can do it, package that up, give people explanation and support they need. And all these holistic practices across the country, across the world can hand pick. Okay, this person wants the mental health panel and they have joint pain. So we're gonna do, check the two boxes. This is their report. I think that's really how I'm gonna make the most change because that's the Absolutely. end of the, that, that's the goal at the end of the day.
1: Yep. Yeah, I love I love that approach. And I'd say that's the unorthodox approach and it and it suits you well. And I would like me personally, as as your ideal client, or or at least some segment of your ideal client, uh, I would love that having those different those different panels and packages available. So kind of random, but my I definitely want to have this question answered. So you mentioned I think twice now that uh, methylation involves. I think you said nine compounds. I don't know how you would just dis- say it, but genes. So okay. g- diff- different proteins that are made by the genes. Yeah. So can you can you educate us on like uh, try to keep it a little more surface level because we're obviously not uh, PhD yeah. students, but can you walk us through the nine steps or however you would say that the nine whatevers in the methylation process?
0: Yeah. So I could talk about you know a few other steps of some of these mutations. Like there's MTR and MTRR are two other genes involved in that step. Now, B12 and folate, B9 are both involved in this process. Now, the MTRR gene activates the MTR gene. The MTR gene recycles vitamin B12. So you use vitamin B12 in the methylation process and then you can recycle it. So you don't have to just so just go to waste. Right. Now, those two genes, nearly every one of my clients has mutations on those genes. It just depends, is there one, is there six? It depends on the person. So if those are mutated, you have a harder time recycling vitamin B12. So there can also be mutations in the TCN1 and 2 genes. This is how you absorb B12 through your gut. It's linked to mm. lower vitamin B12 levels. So if you have a harder time absorbing B12 and a harder time recycling it, you have a higher requirement for B12. Now, lithium that we mentioned, one of the many great mechanisms that helps you transport vitamin B12 and folate inside of your cells. So- we want to make sure if people, if so the more mutated those genes are, the higher your need for B12. And I would mm. like adding in a low dose of lithium, even just one yep. milligram to make sure we're getting into the cells where it really matters. Because blood work is cool, but considering there's mutations and how you absorb things into your cells, the blood is just what's in the blood. It's not what's inside of your cells. Now, there's also uh, the AHCY gene Um, This is involved in um, making something called SAM-E. So this and something called the CBS gene, these are involved in making SAM-E, which is then used uh, to help make glutathione in the body. Now, both of those genes can be mutated. Um, The CBS gene can be overactive or underactive because some mutations make things work faster or slower, and too much of either can be bad these can be linked to ammonia issues. So I see this very often. Um, Some of you guys may know what ammonia smells like. If your urine or sweat ever smells weird, a little bit like ammonia, doctors would say it could be liver issues, which is true. But this also can mean that your cells are hardwired to make higher ammonia at all times. Now- You said that that was me. Yeah, yeah, I I have some of that as well. And there's things you can do to help support that. Um, But that high ammonia- It's linked to neurodegeneration. And the crazy part is, is that blood urea nitrogen, B-U-N on blood work. It's a good way to indirectly test for ammonia in the blood. Um, I've worked with some Alzheimer's disease clients and Parkinson's clients before. um, And some of their blood work over the past several years, their B-U-N has been high, very, very high, Mm -hmm. which a regular conventional medicine doctor will tell you, oh, you're dehydrated. That's why it's high. Mm -hmm. That is true. That can be true. But these people... Their cells, they had a lot of mutations in the CBS or the AHCY genes. So I couldn't help but wonder I help lower their ammonia. They do feel better cognitively, but imagine if I had a time machine to go back 20 years. I know. And imagine if I gave them ammonia support way back then. Would they have developed Alzheimer's disease? I think it could have helped. I have no data to prove that, but there are studies showing high ammonia is a neurotoxin that's linked to neurodegeneration. Well, we know that that's a fact. That that study came out a year or two ago, linking a high ammonia to that. Mm. So they've had high ammonia for many, many years. Yeah. So again, there's a tipping point, you know, because Alzheimer's is also linked to um, like low vitamin D or the methylation issues I just mentioned, or some high histamine can be linked to this occasionally. Low choline, right, as well. Low choline as well, absolutely. So again, everyone's a unique flavor of these combinations. Yeah. Some people with Alzheimer's, can be a lot of ammonia issues like these clients that I saw. Other people may be more low vitamin D plus some heavy metals. So there's different flavors. And that's why I like dissecting this to figure out what are the most key areas of cellular support that you need. And it just makes sense. If I make you feel better today, clearly your cells are working better. Why wouldn't that lower your risk for diseases in the future?
1: Mm, Beautiful breakdown. So I have a preliminary question for novices like myself who are trying to wrap their minds around this. So, before we even you got into that first, um, I think you said MTR and MTRR. Um, before that even happens, so we eat food; it gets broken down into amino acids, proteins, the building blocks of
0: DNA. Correct? Amino acids are the building blocks of proteins. So, of, DNA, okay. DNA is like the instructions on how to make proteins. So you take, you eat a steak, you break down those proteins into amino acids, and your like, cells then take those amino acids and rebuild them up into an MTHFR protein, which is crazy okay. when you think about it that way, that that steak literally becomes, becomes part DNA. of your cellular proteins. You that are what that you becomes eat, our DNA, right? it becomes the proteins, which are instructed to be made properly by the DNA, which is why oh, okay, if, there's, okay. if there's a misspelling in the DNA, every time you make that protein, it'll always have that misspelling, which will make it work better or worse. Okay. So
1: your food doesn't become your DNA. Your DNA is what it is. But your when your food comes in and gets broken down into amino acids, your DNA are the ones who are instructing the amino acids what to do in the body. And if your DNA are off, then the instructions
0: are always off. Exactly. And then your body makes RNA, and that's like an intermediary. So- your your cells basically copy paste the DNA into RNA. Like imagine cha- like imagine if your cells could only read Spanish and your DNA is in English. You know you're not, you got you got to convert it from English into Spanish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now your cells, your ribosomes they're called can take that information and build the proteins, and then they'll go in your cell. Maybe you'll release them outside of your cell. These are all the millions and millions of workhorses in your cells, receptors, how you sense vitamin D, how you activate vitamin D, how you make serotonin, how you break it down, the scaffolding, the collagen proteins that are that our cells make. Cells make collagen. It doesn't just exist there. It's made from proteins based on the foods that we're eating. Wow. So if we're some of
1: us are over here like, oh, I'm B12 deficient, so we're just down in st- steaks and, and raw liver, but- when it gets broken down, our DNA is giving instructions in Mandarin to someone who speaks English, so that B12 might not be converted. Am I am I interpreting uh, that correctly?
0: I wouldn't say it wouldn't be converted per se. I guess what I meant was that you don't directly convert the DNA into proteins. There's that intermediary step. Mm-hmm. But whatever misspelling in the DNA also gets transferred to the RNA, and then that gets trans- transformed- into the proteins as well. But again, too, like that MTR enzyme that helps you recycle vitamin B12, yeah, or that TCN1 gene that helps you absorb it in your gut. And this is where we can get into epigenetics versus genetics, you know, a lot of That was gonna be my next question. Yeah, so I'll go into that now. So genetics is your genetic code, what the spelling is. That never, ever changes. It could change in in a couple of cells in your body. And then normally when that mutates, your body will recognize, okay, something's off with that cell. Let's go get rid of that one. But once that mutated cell doesn't get destroyed, that's Is the that first cancer Is that called apoptosis cell. or Yeah, it's autophagy? the program. Yep. Yeah, uh, well, both can do that. But meaning the apoptosis killing the killing would do that. Whole, whole program cells, program cell. cell death. But once a cell doesn't get destroyed and it has a mutation, that's the beginning of cancer. Mm. And if you think about it, in order to detect a tumor with diagnostic testing, That's gotta be millions and billions of cells big. So we can never really detect a single cancer cell as a tumor by ultrasound. It's just way too small. And this is why I tell people, you get a cancer diagnosis at age 60, that probably started in your mid to late 30s. That initial mutation that persisted. And again, methylation comes into, all these other things come into play for that. So the epigenetics- which is regulated by MTHFR and this machinery.
1: Let's define epigenetics for people, just assuming they're not familiar with Joe Dispenza and Bruce Lipton and some of these- Absolutely, absolutely. So
0: epigenetics is how much you express a gene. Okay. So good example I like to give, sunlight, UV radiation makes vitamin D. Vitamin D goes inside of your cells and it binds your DNA and it tells your cells to make more of the proteins. So the genes that help you make serotonin and dopamine, it cranks them up. So now you have more of those to make you more neurotransmitters. Now, genetics says, if you have a mutation that makes the gene that makes serotonin work half as well, every protein will always work half as well. But if you get a lot of sunlight and you make twice as much of that gene, that protein, you see how you can kind of break even. Mm Mm-hmm. So if they're working half as much, but you make twice as much of them, you're breaking even. And this is why I tell people, I believe in epigenetics. All of their, Joe Dispenza, all their work is amazing. But I'm kind of here to say, depending on the individual, if your protein that makes serotonin only works 10% as well, these are the people that are on medication their whole life, they get sunlight. It doesn't matter because it only works 10% as well. It's very hard to compensate for that. Similar to the MTHFR I mentioned, yours works 80% as well. Mine works 60% as well. Some people that work 20% as well, they do all the self-help. They do all the breath work. They eat organic. They do all these yeah. things because the less uh, functioning those genes are, the bigger the deficit is mm-hmm. that for a lot of people. In my opinion, targeted supplementation for you is the only way to really circumvent that. And guess what? If you were if you were an ancestor hundreds of years ago, you may have gotten a worse viral infection and not have survived. But nowadays we have these tools. So again, epigenetics is how much you express the gene. Okay. People like to say it's on or off. It's more so is it are you making more of it or less of it? Mm. Um, but now again, a lot of people like Joe Dispenza talks about epigenetics are what can heal people from you know, childhood trauma. You know, A lot yes. of these mood disorders, I think I'm a hugely spiritual guy. I absolutely believe in repressed trauma, repressed emotions. I think are as important as diet for mental health and health overall. 100%. Huge factor. But here's the thing, what people don't understand. You go to therapy, why can people talk about their issues forever, but they don't actually change? Yep. Because you're talking about it, but your brain isn't turning off the trauma genes and turning back on the healthy genes. Trauma, when that happens, Your genes are all scrambled. They're switched on and off. But the genetics of MTHFR and the methylation machinery, if these are the guys flipping the light switch, and if they don't work as well genetically, you see how even epigenetics is controlled by genetics. Mm. So I'm not saying it's this or that, but what I'm saying is a lot of people in the holistic space, it's very, let me put it this way. The people that say, you can't control your genes, doesn't matter. Epigenetics are the way that's all that matters. None of them have a proper education in genetics. So they don't really fully understand how it works. I'll never say it's one or the other. And this is why I'm so excited down the road. Imagine giving someone a personalized methylation neurotransmitter panel before they do therapy. It would make their brain that much more neuroplastic. So when they talk about these things, like what is acquiring a new skill? If you want to learn how to throw a baseball, You have to grow new neural connections in your brain, find motor skills. The same exact thing occurs when you're trying to change your belief system, get rid of that victimized mindset, acknowledge what happened to me was not my fault. You know, my life is in my own hands. That's a lot of kind of, I mean, gross oversimplification, but what happens when people heal from these traumatic things? And that's also why psychedelics have such good promise because they rank up neuroplasticity brain-derived nootropic factor and neuronal growth factor these types of things exactly those are neurotrophins that are gasoline for brain cells i have a mutation in the brain-derived neurotrophic factor gene bdnf Mm. um and it's uh i don't think i've ever shared this story but you know i've always been a big guy like a lineman in football a center for basketball never great hand-eye coordination never very much of an athlete Um, but I played sports, um, but very clumsy and stuff and BDNF genetically hardwired lower BDNF. Now things like sunlight, exercise, supplements, certain foods can raise BDNF, but mine are baseline lower levels. It's linked to anxiety, depression, lower stress response, PTSD susceptibility. Now, years ago, when I started using psychedelics, I responded very, very well to them, um, you know under the influence, sure, but mainly after the fact, you know, just brimming with ideas, just so much more confident in myself, um, due to the spiking of BDNF and, you know, I'm a big advocate for psychedelics. You know, you got to use them safely set and setting is everything, but using them on and off over the years. I remember I was hanging out with some friends. This is a couple of years ago after years of utilizing psychedelics. And I was playing beer pong with some of my friends from college. Um, haven't, I haven't touched beer pong in many, many years, and I was like, lights out, like LeBron James mode, just knocking down cops, <laughs> knocking down islands. And I was, even they were like, you know, I, I was never that good at it. I was bad at it, Yeah, an island, a fire island, is island all these things. <laughs> and like, they're like, dude, what the hell? I'm like, yo, I don't know, man. Like, wow. And then I remember playing, uh, that was during the summer. I was playing spike ball with some of my friends from high school that, you know, I was known as big clumsy Tyler, you know, and, um, <laughs> that's and, trauma in and of itself. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So playing spike ball, which requires hand-eye coordination, me and my buddy beat two of my friends that are like known as the high school athletes, their heads were hanging down low. when They lost to Tyler, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I started connecting the dots. BDNF is responsible for motor learning, fine motor skills. So I was born with a BDNF deficit. I believe that my psychedelic usage, I also really like utilizing magnesium L-threonate, three CBD, and lithium. All three of these are neurogenic. They raise BDNF. CBD and lithium. CBD has been shown to grow brain cells. People aren't aware of this. I take it every day. So I've been – not just the psychedelics, but that's a big booster on top of these other things. I really think boosting my BDNF chronically throughout the years through psychedelic means and not made me a better athlete made me more coordinated for that. And like, do I have data to show that? Not necessarily, but I was on another podcast, the Yoakam Strength Podcast. We were talking about microdosing for athletes, for learning new skills. Oh, so you yeah. see what I mentioned before, the more neurogenic you are, the easier it is to learn.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you just opened so many rabbit holes I would love to talk about. So first things first, entrepreneurs and and such, like even you know, tech guys, Silicon Valley, whatever, like we've been knowing this. For like 10 years, they've been using psychedelics to come up with their app ideas. And to, to when you're struggling with uh, creativity or, or you can't solve a problem, you, you try it on, it lifts you out of your default mode network. And all of a sudden you're looking at this problem with a fresh set of eyes and it, it's instantly apparent to you. Right. So it's fascinating when you understand the deeper mechanisms of how it works and you understand it experientially of how it feels you you gotta walk
0: the walk you know what i mean and i think too it's like with the psychedelics you have the creativity under the influence which is great um you know i don't know if you ever heard about well you know how dna has the double helix it like twists Mm -hmm. like what's it called what's it what like a frito or something like twists around itself or whatever so watson and crick i think it was crick you know, like 80 years old, one of his last talks, he basically came clean and said, hey, and this just goes to show how recent finding DNA is. We thought of the double helix model while we were high on acid. Yeah. So like, (laughs) like, like that just goes to show DNA was like, what, like, like 70 years ago. Like we discovered it. That's how crazy fast it's moving. The polymerase chain reaction, the PCR machine. A lot of people know what that is now due to COVID testing, PCR testing. That was also thought up of on an acid trip. So you have the effects, the creativity on the actual trip itself, but then you also have um which I've had a lot of is after the fact, the afterglow of just, you know, the positivity, you know, feeling aligned with what you're doing, you know, that also feeds so much into the spiritual side. You know, your cells are listening to every single thought that you have if you're feeding your cells positive things, it's more neurogenic. If you feel negative thing, it's going to be causing more inflammation, lower the vibration or frequency. You know, it's all it's not science or spirit. It's both of these things together.
1: Yep. Yeah, 100%. And my audience is obviously quite into this. So I think it's kind of fascinating to touch on the the genetic perspective on psychedelics and such. And so when you were going through uh, my my genetic panel with me. You did mention that I had the same type of mutation here where you mentioned um, I would be essentially a hyper responder to, I believe you grouped, you said microdosing. You're like, I don't know if you've microdosed, and I was like, ha. And uh, you were also like, I think Bacopa Monieri. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So can you talk about what is that gene and what is it showing you when there's a mutation and, and how does psychedelics kind of fit into that?
0: Absolutely. So classical psychedelics, mushrooms, psilocybin mushrooms, DMT what all the different rivers, whether it's 5-MeO, regular DMT, LSD, uh, mescaline, even the to Oboga. some degree, uh, I don't believe a boga does, but even to some degree MDMA also does, as well as MDA, yep. these all bind the serotonin 2A receptor. So this what is about one ketamine? of- so ketamine does not bind okay. to this up. Uh, and that's why it feels so different. You know, yes, me personally, ketamine to me should be batched as a dissociative. Yep. It can be psychedelic, but nowadays it's called, I mean, I'm not, I'm not raising my pitchfork over it. You know what I mean? But it is a very different feeling because it's a dissociative. So it does not have those classical visuals because it doesn't bind this receptor. Got it. This receptor is one of seven main types that serotonin binds to in the brain. So that specific receptor, the serotonin two A receptor, the HT two A gene, this is what the psychedelics bind to. They bind many other things in the in the brain, but this is one of the main ways that gives the classical, you know, the warping, the color distortion, those types of things. Um, and that receptor can be mutated to be less active. Hmm. So, what is that linked to? That's linked to lower chance to be in a romantic relationship. It's linked to anxiety. It's linked to depression. Mm. It's linked to an increased risk for PTSD. Mm. So if I can figure out that that you have a couple of mutations there, it's not as sensitive. You know, I'll recommend. I mean, I can't provide or recommend these are recommendations for people, <laughs> of course. You know, you're but, out here um, in some. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> so um, but um, a lot of people are curious, and yeah. those people could respond better to classical psychedelics, because rather than giving them a medication that will increase all serotonin. So now you may stimulate that one receptor more that needs more love, but now you're overstimulating the other ones. And what does that mean? It could be side effects. You feel numbed out, your dick don't work. You know, all these side effects that people get is because you're overstimulating certain serotonin receptors. And high
1: serotonin is a nightmare.
0: Yeah. By the way, yeah, yeah.
1: you do not want serotonin syndrome or whatever. You're going to lack drive and all that stuff.
0: Yeah, a- absolutely. And, you know, um, so we can give the microdose or the Pocopa Monieri herb, ebelin lactone It's a certain compound in the Pocopa Monieri herb yeah. that they've discovered. It doesn't bind the receptor the same way psychedelics do. It binds it on the side and makes it more sensitive. Hmm. so it's a non-psychoactive totally legal over-the-counter way to stimulate that serotonin receptor so now they have a constant i think it's called cognance it's on nootropics depot uh cognizant cognizant yep cognizant or cognance yeah they might have actually i've seen both yeah, yeah 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 i think cognizant might be the molecule name versus cognizant is okay. the supplement yep. something like that but it's a concentrated form of that Ebolin lactone mm-hmm. and when i have clients that don't want to go down the psychedelic route i mean hey up to you that's your information if you want to do with that but this is over the counter this can work wonders for people because mm. it also helps mimic that and stimulate it now i also have these theories that you know we're not aware of any receptor mutations that make it more sensitive but like bona fide but and this is where we could go down the rabbit hole here you know let's do it those hallucinations people have on psychedelics are they all really hallucinations or are they just tapping into different frequencies? You know, I think it'd be a mixture of both. You know, sometimes you're just tripping, bro. You know what I mean? Not every time, but um, I personally believe that these alter our um, perception, and you could kind of tangle wires with different consciousnesses, different oh, networks, yeah. different multiverses. Um, there and sounding like a
1: Marvel movie now.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bro. You, have you seen Loki? no i haven't you should watch that 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 is yeah they were on some shit making that that's (laughs) a damn sure um so these frequencies you're tapping into the serotonin 2a receptor they use serotonin 2a receptor blockers for schizophrenia
2: Mm.
0: so i wonder i've also worked with some people that are angel whisperers or psychic mediums Mm. and i've noticed they have a certain receptor mutation that hasn't really been studied at all but they share it and i wonder is this making them more sensitive so they're going wow. the other way so they have an easier time tapping into that psychedelic ancestral yep. whatever plane you want to call it and is that also true to some degree for schizophrenics so are is schizophrenia really hallucinations or just tapping into the network of consciousness whoever you want to talk about it more easily so You're blowing my know, mind right now yeah you know really really fascinating stuff and you know that's why um, you know, you don't want to give someone schizophrenia psychedelics. It could be yeah, you know, yeah like dangerous because they're already kind of microdosing these people, whether they're <laughs> angel whispers. they're already like, high idiom, as shit. Exactly, they're already they're already microdosing. They're extra sensitive to their own serotonin and DMT that their body releases. And I'm guessing you probably heard about the theory for alien abductions that could just be a huge dump of DMT. Have you ever heard about that one? Mm, I haven't. No. So yeah, they think a lot of alien abductions. You know, are they really being abducted i mean i i i've personally encountered like entities on some of my experiences and i know i was in my body but if i wasn't imagine if your body just randomly just just squirted out extra dmt out of nowhere you may have interacted with these interface with these entities your body didn't go anywhere but your consciousness was inhabited or abducted or whatever you Mm -hmm. want to call it um now imagine if someone had, you know, these mutations in the receptor plus that. You know, that's kind of how my brain looks at these things, and it explains a lot. But yeah, it can make you more depressed if you're, um, if you're, if it's working too little. We have data for that. Now the other side, NIH ain't funding. Well, the CIA is probably funding multiversal travel and stuff, actual <laughs> <astral> projection. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like we know that we for sure. The they released Project those documents. Project Gateway. I don't know if you've looked at that on uh, uh, not that specifically, but like the- I know I, at this point I just know what i don't know and read between the lines you they know what i mean? tell, to, tell me more about that
1: they admitted to astral projection and essentially manifestation like it was a master class report i want to say it was like 30 pages and they talked about being able to bend time and space based on your intention and they also talked about astral projection and stuff like that it was it was released in 2020 um you can look it up project gateway
0: Well, it's interesting to like the last lecture of my 12 week course is physical and spiritual healing. And I go into like, I'm trying to describe what happens on the cellular molecular level, bona fide mechanisms when you're manifesting. And I believe it comes down a lot to, I call it it signaling placeholder name right now. Maybe it'll stick. So there's a reason why, you know, religion or spirituality is linked to lower rates of a lot of diseases, mental health disorders. I believe that when you believe in something bigger than yourself, and I'm not telling you what to believe in, there's no right or wrong way, whether it is a singular God in religion or multiple gods or multiple religions or spirituality or belief in yourself and feeling aligned with what you're doing. It's a certain type of self-signaling pathway, just like vitamin D. Now we have not identified what this is yet. This is very abstract, but this is part of another edge of work. I'm trying to work on and describe this. Oh yeah. Yeah. If I could describe a credentialed scientist about the molecular drivers of this, think how many more people would latch on to spirituality? Because a lot of it's very woo-woo and abstract that you kind of got to experience it to really latch on to it. But I believe that, like I remember when I was was raised uh, Episcopal, Um, I remember when I was in Sunday school, little kid, um, you know, they would start singing and praying and I would feel like a nice little like buzz. I'd feel like good, like while they're doing it. 100%. And like, I remember I started going to some like business networking, mastermind things and hearing some really good motivational speakers, not the cheesy kind, the good authentic kind. And like, I felt that same feeling. I felt aligned, like I can do this new business I just jumped into. Yeah. And like, and do, that so. to me is the, it signaling. Mm-hmm. And I believe it signaling is the cure for trauma. Mm. Because if you think about this, a mutation that lowers how well that HT2A receptor works, if that's linked to PTSD, no wonder why stimulating it with psychedelics can help undo trauma. Now I'm not saying that we all know it's not the magic bullet cure, a lot of integration and other things are involved, but you see what I'm getting at here? It's like that it signaling gets severed in society nowadays. Yeah, there's something there with those. It's, down, it, it's downgraded, so you don't have that. Like this is my life, the victim mindset, the scarcity nope. mindset, your cells are all listening. And that's why, you know, you can have psychedelic experiences or you could have mystical psychedelic experiences, you know, and hey, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with eating some mushrooms with your buddies in the woods and just giggling. You know, I'm not saying anything wrong (laughs) with that, but that can help, I think, with minor issues with brain chemical issues. But you got to go into the depths of hell into the subconscious and reach down for that trauma and, and break that down. That's. And to me, that's where I think the, ma- the controlled macro doses in uh, professional settings with proper integration. That's where you, I think people ask, do you need the trip? They're making pharmaceutical versions of psychedelics without the trip. Yeah. I think for deep seated trauma, you absolutely need that true altered state of consciousness yeah. to pull these things out of the subconscious. Yeah. So, as I was saying, that it signaling, I think that part of manifestation, part of it's internal, you have the it signaling. Your cells are making more neurotransmitters. They're lowering inflammation. Part of manifestation is you being able to do higher volumes of higher quality work towards your goal because you're aligned, because you have it signaling. That's a lot easier to prove than the external side. Then the external side is you deserving something. And the universe throws a bone your way. Now, yes. that's that's a lot harder to quantify. I can't yeah. do that yet, you know. But the people that have been manifesting have been doing these things, you know, like once you let go and give yourself some grace, like talking to my business coach, it's like give yourself some more grace, get the energy aligned. I start doing that, stop trying to force things, and then boom, 100%. the opportunities, the doors start opening. Why does that happen to so many people? So I believe that there's the twofold of it. There's the external. I don't know how to quantify that. You know, how is the universe just knowing good things happen to good people? And then on the flip side, you know, why do bad things happen to people? You know, why is, and that goes into the whole karma side of things, you know, people yep. that get caught in freak accidents and stuff. And I'm not considering tell you, you get caught in a freak, act, freak accident, you deserved it. I'm not saying that by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying on the flip side of things. The opposite side of that is like bad karma or bad things, bad, horrific accidents happening to people. If there's a reason why good things are happening, there should be a reason why bad things are happening. But you see what I'm saying? I think manifestation is twofold. And at least you can definitely control the it signaling and practicing these things. But again, in order to get it signaling, you better make sure that you're in a pretty good level of health. You better make sure you don't have four MTHFR mutations that aren't being fixed, You better make sure that you have optimal neurotrophin function, BDNF, all these things limiting your stress. So it's easier said than done. But, you know, I thought you would love that kind of the internal versus external side of manifestation on the cellular level.
1: Yeah. So two things I want to say on, on everything you just touched on. Fascinating stuff. So first off, so I was in the fitness industry from 20 to 24 I had built up a full clientele. I was finally living my dream. Everything I had journaled. You you just
0: you just formally left.
1: Yeah. So everything I had journaled about, wrote it down over and over and over. I thought I was going to be, you know, international online fitness coach, success, blah blah blah. I did it. I did that, and I literally shut it down at 24 because I. Oh, oh, you
0: meant age of 24. I thought you meant the year, and I'm like, oh no 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 no.
1: Yeah, I was 24 years old. So this is uh, seven years ago. Gotcha. Okay. And. I did that for two reasons. One, I was going through my own spiritual awakening. And two, in that spiritual awakening, I came across Joe Dispenza's work. And it was the first time in my life where my logical brain could connect the spiritual truth that I already knew to be true in my own life and experiences, but the rest of the world wrote it off. And so that's point one that I want to bring up is just that what you're describing I'm so like energized and excited about medicine this decade, because the more that these Western medicine scientific community is able to put science to what indigenous populations have known for thousands of years, just as knowing, but we live in a world where, where's the study? Show me the meta-analysis. And it's like, Science lags. The
0: evidence base. We could touch on that too. Yeah, the whole evidence base stuff. It gets into the
1: funding also. Like they wouldn't fund it. Think about who funds it, and and so there's a whole rabbit hole there. But science lags, and so we're finally seeing like maps research and PTSD psychedelic research and MDMA research and all this, and it's going to be fascinating when we're starting to get more into the, you know, the next level of Joe Dispenza and Bruce Lipton's work, where it's like really peeling back the layers. And you have someone like Joe Dispenza, who's doing thousands and thousands and thousands of people per year in terms of his own anecdotal research and such, right, which has been cool. Uh, but seeing it more on the genetic side and you talking about the manifestation stuff is, is really fascinating. So, that's piece one. The second thing I want to say is what you touched on about kind of peeking behind the veil in these psychedelic experiences. So, my audience is, this is probably going to be this whole conversation right now, the last things that we were talking about is is probably going to be their favorite part. So, for those of us who have had, you know, psychedelic experiences and everything, you brought up this notion of are you hallucinating or are you not? And that's like one of the coolest things to entertain because people who haven't done them look at people who have had these mystical life-changing experiences and they're never the same after that. They look at that as like, oh, well, they've just kind of They're just believing in this thing that didn't actually happen. And so it shifted their behavior. But you have people like you and me and even like Rogan and stuff like, yo, the things that you're experiencing, like if you were to have an experiential encounter, you would not say that. There's something there beyond the intellect. Call it God. Call it source. Call it consciousness. Call it oneness. There's something there. And then that gets into the theory that you brought up about schizophrenia. And the reason I said you're blowing my mind is not because I've never heard that. It's because me and my wife talk about this. She used to work in a psych hospital. She had to like medicate crazy, crazy people when they would get out of hand and everything. That was her in a past life. And, And then she meets me and I have schizophrenia in my family. I have multiple family members who are schizophrenic. And we talk about like how... Like whenever we, you know, have family gatherings, like they're so normal and it's interesting because we've even talked with them about like we both have the theory of what you what you laid out that like they're just seeing this is our theory. They're just seeing, so if there's a normal spectrum of human consciousness that we can normally see, hear, and perceive. Like within, the light spectrum. I, that's that's a great exactly way to what it. I yeah. was going to say. So there's a, there's a range of sound we can't hear, and there's a range of light we can't see. Why is it so far-fetched, if you understand everything is energy, to think about people who are schizophrenic as they just have an expanded range, and they're tapping into things the rest of us can't perceive, and because of that, they're kind of tormented And they're talking about things. Oh, there's someone in the room. And it's like, we're so almost like egoic or like egocentric about
0: like superiority complex.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like who's to say that that's not a gift, but society doesn't know what to do with that yet. But when you look at the most prolific creators of all time, like you want to talk about Kanye where – Every other, you know, quarter he's in and out of a halfway house or he's doing something on the internet and people are saying, Whoa, he's cancel him, he's gone too far. And it's like you want the art, you want the genius, you want well, the fashion, but you don't want what comes with that, right? Or you look at people like Da Vinci or some of these people, and it's like when you study their autobiographies, they were tormented. Yep. But that was their genius. And I feel like psychedelics is an opportunity for us to expand this is my this is my working theory anecdotally after a, a decade of testing <laughs> A, d- a decade and a half of experimenting. <laughs> I think that when you take these things, it opens up your mind because your conscious brain can normally take only take in so many bits of information per second, right? But your subconscious mind can take in like a hundred times that or something, right? And so that's that aspect of we would be overwhelmed if we were normally taking in everything there is to take in in terms of sensory input. So my theory is that when we take psychedelics, it expands that massively and now we have uh, awareness and access to bits of information that were previously we weren't paying attention to we couldn't perceive but they were always there it's just expanding that pers- uh that spectrum of what we're able to perceive in any given moment and i don't think that when we do have those crazy you know lapses or all of a sudden we're seeing like almost like a matrix grid or f- or fractals or whatever I think that that's actually closer to objective reality than what we think is objective reality when we're knocking on the table or looking at this laptop. Because from the quantum perspective, we know that all of this is just protons and electrons and neutrons, and and this laptop isn't even solid. The chair we're sitting on, it's not even solid matter. So this is like what I'm fascinated by in terms of the next decade or two of of research is like the merging of the more of the we could call them the material sciences that can't look past the 3d realm and the merging of that with the quantum and starting to understand some of these aspects of energetics and quantum physics and
0: and and i think psychedelics is kind of bridging those two worlds absolutely and one other thing i wanted to add too regarding that serotonin 2a receptor what's a biohack that's free that everyone can do to make their cells express more of that HT2A receptor on their cell surface. Take a guess. Uh 30-second hug with someone? All right, not a bad guess. Sleep deprivation. Oh, okay. So we all, whether it was you listening or your buddy, you know, you go to a music festival, you pull an all-nighter, you know, <laughs> you try to take a tab of acid or something. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much never ends well. And now we look ancestrally. I read this paper. I think it was the four Ds. It was drugs, dancing, drums, deprivation. Mm. All these ancestral populations, ancient populations that would interface with their gods. You know, the rain gods, all the Aztecs, you name it. We know that there's a history of psychedelic usage all throughout human history. Now, they would purposely sleep deprive themselves to make themselves hypersensitive to these medicines, to these substances. Wow. They would dance with drums you know, yeah, dancing, they, were, they, you know were they they were stacking they would do all <laughs> they would stack all these modalities to pierce the veil that much easier wow and i could tell you some of my deepest experiences would usually happen you know after a long while of being awake oh yeah so you know and you know my friends and i joke you know like like you know you feel the presence of someone next to your shoulder you know when i'm sleep deprived under the influence and i'm like I look and no one's there, but I swear I feel somebody there. So how close is that to the person? Someone with schizophrenia actually sees like you feel, you feel that presence so much. It feels you swear. And I'll, I'll I'll be, I'll be looking forward or I'll be like, I'll be DJing, whatever. I'll just be like doing my thing. And I'm like, I know no one's there. No one's there. And I look, I'm like, fuck, no one's there. But like, I know (laughs) I feel the presence of these things. A lot of my experiences have been sensing the presence of things. Like yeah. I haven't had too many where I see visibly, you know, the council of deities or gods. I just know yeah. the presence is there. I feel that aura. Um, so I just wanted to add that aspect of the sleep deprivation, um, you know really, really interesting because a lot of, and again, too, that's usually why you go to a three day music festival, usually day three, the wheels can fall off the bus because everyone's (laughs) sleep deprived, you know, their bodies are tired, this and that. And, that's what could turn the beautiful acid trips of Scott, of sunshine and rainbows into you look yeah, like yeah, you're yeah. you're with a bunch of demon people all around you you know what I mean like and then you're it's in like, the underworld <laughs> you're in the underworld what the hell is going on so uh yeah the that I'll send you that study the four Ds it's it's not a super dense type study but it explains yeah. so much because I I came from the the raving scene, you know what I mean? Like I, I raving has, de- has benefited my life in so many ways. I believe. Well, we know dancing is neurogenic. Yeah. Music is neurogenic, and actually, and the strobe of lights connection and oneness, the, con- and all the that. community. Yeah, the and actually, they did a study. Strobe lights at certain frequencies are actually neurogenic. Mm. So then you throw in the substances that are neurogenic. So like. Yeah, yeah. And of course, this is assuming you're not cooking your brain in 120 degree warehouse. You know, I've always taken care of my body, supplement stacks, antioxidants, you know, watching body temperature, all these things. I'm not saying you just go rip a bunch of e-pills at EDC and like be enlightened (laughs) when you come back. You know what I mean? But like these same tools that are used in those settings and. Abusing those settings sometimes are the same things that having breakthrough um, recognition for actual legitimate medical usage for mental disorders, psychiatric disorders. Yeah, So it's all under, you know, the same umbrella here. You know, there's a way to utilize these things properly. And, you know, people do just need to be careful as well. I'm also very vocal about, you know, I think MDMA and ketamine are two substances. I think every human being should try. I'm not saying all you guys will get some off the street and do it, all you guys listening now, don't jump and do that. But what I'm saying is, what I mean by that is, they're euphoric and calming to the nervous system. Ketamine is a very powerful anxiolytic. Um, oh, yeah. Now, if you do a lot of it, you could literally travel the multi. I'm not saying go that deep, but versus the you be chilling in your
1: couch for a while.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you know, the classical psychedelics, I don't think every human being should do those because again, they yeah, can no. provoke underlying psychiatric disorders. However, I do wonder- if every human being, if someone that was prone to schizophrenia or psychiatric disorders, if they did psychedelics in a controlled setting with professionals that could guide them through it, I don't think it's the trip itself that initiates this. I think it's the uncontrolled trip, the wheels fall off the bus. They're with their buddy as a trip sitter that has no idea how to handle the situation. And then they just like, you don't know how to properly manage that person. So I do think if there were professionals there to help guide them I do think it could be safe for everybody, but let's be real. The vast majority of people are not doing these things in controlled settings because they're still freaking illegal. You know what I mean? Are you familiar with
1: Carl Jung? Yes.
0: Not deeply, but yes. So I'm I'm, a
1: big, big fan of his work and just the whole, you know, he kind of popularized shadow work and this notion of our unconscious. And if we don't make our unconscious conscious, it will run our lives and we will call it fate. And so, you know, this. I have a working theory in, in what bad trips are, right? You'll have this person who's should not be doing, let's say, a macro dose. And they're like, oh, f- I'm going to do a macro dose. And they're coming about it from a place of ego. And they, they don't have reverence for the plant. And they're, they're totally uh, – their self-image is uh, <laughs> inflated in a way that it should be humble actually going into the experience. And so they get – totally checked and they have this horrible experience where they witness themselves die and blah 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 and then they're like i'm never doing it again and they blame the plant right my working theory on bad trips is that we're experiencing in an in an experiential sense we're experiencing our shadow and our psyche the repressed aspects of our fears maybe traumatic experiences playing out in a visual exaggerated sense, or even if you want to go real deeper into the rabbit hole, even the sh- uh, collective consciousness is shadow. Maybe it's nothing you've experienced, but in your lineage, you're witnessing this thing happening. You're like, that was absolutely horrific. What the hell does that mean? And you struggle to make meaning of it. But in reality, it could have been your great, great, great grandfather who you know killed someone or whatever it may be, and you're having that experience. And so we – can't wrap our heads around this but my working theory is that there is no such thing as a bad trip you're meeting parts of yourself and if you're not willing to actually meet yourself and when i say meet yourself i don't mean the image of yourself that you've crafted up to protect yourself in the world i mean the shit you would not you would rather die than have people know this about you that shit. if you're not ready to meet yourself then you probably shouldn't be dabbling
0: with psychedelics in any semblance of a higher dose. That's I that is could not agree more, and like the, uh, absolutely spot on. And yeah, I like to summarize it as in my own words, which is pretty much the same exact messaging: is you're going to, dedu- to d- deduct or distill down what the medicine is trying to show you as a hallucination. You're you're just refusing to acknowledge and accept what it's. Trying to show you, and exactly, absolutely spot on. Yeah, I mean, I've experienced people in my immediate vicinity on these substances. I've experienced traumatic things that have happened to them. Yeah, their past. So I don't even think it's just tied to the bloodline. You know, I, of course, you know, there's the collective consciousness that we're all one. You know what I mean? And again, you could get these wires crossed. It could be trying to show you something and put you in someone else's shoes with these things. And when you just mm-hmm. deduct it to this is a trip. This is hallucination. And usually the second someone says how much longer usually wheels are halfway off the bus at that. Yeah.
1: Point. It's all over. If you're saying how much longer.
0: Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep.
1: Yep. Yeah. Resistance. See, one of the best things that it teaches you, especially for types like me and you is surrender. Yeah, You can't resist. You have to lean into it. What is it trying to show me and all of that? So, I think we've done that due diligence. I think our audience will love that. We'd love to hear from you guys in the, in the comments if you've had some crazy experiences or you think uh, or you have a working theory about how this stuff works that's different from ours. Definitely let us know below. We'd be super interested to know. What's going on, guys? We just wanted to take a really quick break from the show to thank you guys for all of the continued support and let you know that we are really prioritizing growing this podcast in both audio and video format. And on that note, we are wanting to connect with you guys on YouTube. So if you have been following along to our podcast on whatever audio streaming service that may be, we wanna make sure that we're also connected on YouTube as we are putting out exclusive video only content on YouTube and we're also gonna be doing some giveaways in the near future so we want to make sure we're connected on there for those of you who would like to be and you can find us at youtube.com slash griff official all one word no special characters all right thank you guys so much for the continued support we could not do this without you now let's get back to the show so i want a hard pivot now And uh, make sure we get into a few other topics before we kind of wrap up. So you've done a questioning conventional medicine series on IG that's done really, really well. Wonder why. And in one of them, you shared a breakdown of prescribing ADHD medications, Ritalin, Vyvanse, Adderall, et cetera. And what's actually going on for people who think that they have ADHD, yet they might actually have, let's say, histamine issues or whatever. Can you kind of encapsulate what you broke down in that video, if you recall, both the side of like, what are the ADHD medications? What are the underlying mechanisms of what they're actually doing? And why are they often causing more harm than good, given the root issue of what is actually
0: happening that they think is ADHD? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to start with another facet. I think it's huge for ADHD. So I feel like there's two types. That is what I would call the biochemical side of things. So I'll touch on that in a second, but I think a big factor for ADHD is also societal standards. ADHD is a lot more prevalent in young boys than young girls. And I think a big part of that, the biochemical side, guess, can make people more at risk, less likely to focus, more hyperactive. I'll touch on that in a second. But young boys, five-year-old boys are not meant to sit in a desk. We're, we're living well outside of what we evolved to have to do. Young children, they could be, you know, the young boys ancestrally, they could be following their fathers and dads out on hunts and they, they may not go all the way, but they could go like hide behind a rock or something be like, all right, guys, we see a, you know, a saber tooth tiger. We're going to go, they're not going to bring <laughs> the five-year-old with them to kill the yeah, animal. Yeah. You know, they could get hurt, but get you know, they're, they're learning by experiencing, they're learning by doing, they're learning by trying and failing and scraping their knee and this and that, they're not supposed to be, we're not supposed to be sitting in desks that long. Mm. So I think that's something definitely worth addressing. I work with most of my, I work with people of all ages. Like I've had one-year-old clients before that have mysterious things going on, all different ages. Most of the children I work with, it's ADHD most of the time. Um, And I like to tell parents that upfront that a part of this is societal, that we need medication in order to sit still and focus. Now you have the biochemical side and they used to actually have ADD and ADHD as two separate diagnoses. And now they kind of merge them together, which is something I personally don't really agree with per se. You know, ADD is more so you're missing the H, you're missing the hyperactive. So that can be more like the, you know, just can't pay attention to anything. Just kind of like low dopamine, low focusing overall. Then you have ADHD, which I'm realizing I definitely have. I was never formally diagnosed with it. Um, That is, I have so many freaking ideas rimming out of my mind at all times. I will hyperfixate and become the best ever at something in a very short period of time. But the problem is I have so many ideas. It's shiny object syndrome. Oh, new thing over there. Let me go try that. Let me try this. I remember in my lab in my PhD, I would have all these brilliant ideas that my boss, my professors were like, oh my God, like, how did you think of this? Like, this is genius. But then I'd be having another one like that. And I wouldn't follow through with it. And that's kind of what, how I like to describe ADHD. Um, I think I'm just fortunate that I love science, which is such a big swimming pool that I could still learn a lot about science overall. Um, But you have things, the H, hyperactivity. So one of the main things I think is linked to a lot of ADHD is histamine. So people think of histamine as allergies, which high histamine does cause allergies, but there's a lot of other things in the body. Our body normally makes it as a neurotransmitter to wake us up. It makes the brain go faster. Histamine releases adrenaline. So we release it in the morning. to helps us wake up. Antihistamines, I mentioned this earlier, antihistamines are used for sleep. So if you have high histamine, that's also linked to restless leg syndrome because your legs are, you're hyperactive. You just feel re- mm. you're tired, but you can't really sleep overall. High histamine is also linked to brain fog. Most of my, I had horrible brain fog 90% of the time, the first 25, 26 years of my life. Wow. Turns out I got an allergy testing done. I had to go to four different doctors. None of them would test me for allergies. I thought I was getting poisoned in my lab. That's how bad my brain fog was. And I just couldn't sleep well. They told me, you don't have allergies. We're not testing you. You have no signs of it. Finally, someone tested me. I was severely allergic to peas and almonds. I ate them every day for lunch. And I was severely allergic to mice. I worked with them almost every day for six years in my PhD. Oh, I was like a big fuck you to these other doctors that would test me. And I'm, I'm a PhD student. I'm not like a regular, I'm not not regular. I already knew and I'm connecting the dots. That was a big turning point for me. I got rid of those foods. I changed up my project and I was like a totally new person. Wow. How many people are put on anxiety? They wanted to put me on anxiety meds, anxiety, depression, the higher histamine in your brain. I mentioned that low, high vitamin D epigenetically upregulates serotonin and dopamine genes. High histamine epigenetically downregulates them. So you see what I'm saying Damn. here? Someone's, lo- and ironically, the lower your vitamin D, the higher your histamine levels.
2: Hmm.
0: So if you have low vitamin D and high histamine, you're gonna have low neurotransmitter production. So it's linked to anxiety, depression, all these types of things. Um, Now, a lot of my brain fog, it was linked to the histamine it still is today i got to watch what histamine foods i eat i genetically break down histamine very slow i think you did as well it's very very, very slow, common yeah. um so if i have a little bit of raised histamine like if i have very high histamine in my body i get really bad brain fog i'll get headaches i never ever get headaches unless it's that if i have histamine slightly elevated my brain will be a little more excitable you know it'll be a little quicker and then I noticed that's when like my thought my my mind can't keep up with my thoughts. Mm. And that they've actually done studies. So the ADHD medication, the Vyvanse, the Adderall, the Ritalin, these bind histamine receptors. So they signal to the histamine in the body. Modafinil does as well. Have you ever tried modafinil before?
1: I have a shitload in my pantry, but I'm afraid to even try it because I'm sensitive to stimulants. But I had a
0: client send me like a shitload. <laughs> yeah. So modafinil, it's actually narcolepsy medication.
1: Yeah. It's like to not not fall asleep or whatever.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like a watered down version of Adderall. But I remember I took that on and off during my PhD years ago. I would get weird brain fog and itchy. I like got weird eye sensation. Found out a couple of years ago after I took this, it raises histamine. So you all see right. how I'm see, connecting the dots here. My intuition's on point. I didn't yeah. take it. <laughs> So um, where was I going with this? So these medications, they've done studies. If you give ADHD medication on its own versus an ADHD medication with an antihistamine, it performs better with the antihistamine. Because basically mm-hmm. the whole model is you can't focus. It's a lack of dopamine and adrenaline. That's mm-hmm. all that these things do. They release dopamine and adrenaline. Yeah but you're telling me the medication works better if you add an antihistamine with it? Why don't we just try lowering the histamine on its own? Not even with the yeah. medication, through natural supplementation. Like that SAMe I mentioned that helps us break down adrenaline better. The gene that breaks down histamine in our brain also utilizes SAMe. So that can also help with these things. And if you look, SAMe can help with ADHD. So you follow the crumbs here. High histamine is a big factor. That also is a proxy for low vitamin D is a factor. Low iron is another factor of this. Methylation issues are factors for this. So I don't look really in terms of anxiety, ADHD, depression, gut issues. I look at the pathway sides of things. Yeah. Again, if I'm used to seeing maybe eight vitamin D mutations in that pathway and you show up with 20, I'm like, oh boy, vitamin D is more of a factor for you than somebody else. So that's why my approach is utilizing. And I'm not, again, the genes aren't everything, but it's hardwired. Do you have an issue absorbing iron, storing iron? What do you know? Oh yeah, I've had iron issues my whole life. Or I look at blood work, they have borderline low iron issues. And I think if all of us listening know, the normal ranges for blood work are way too wide. Yep. Just because you're on the low end of normal, that's likely too low for you. So you can really match these things up. So again, personalizing these treatments, you know, if somebody has mutations and how they break down that gene, the H gene, that's what breaks down histamine in your brain. If they have a mutation in that, A, we want to eat less histamine. We also want to avoid drugs that raise histamine, probiotics that raise histamine. And we might want to take SAMe. If someone has mutations and how they sense allergens, another way you can raise histamine, something like a pycnogenol or a butterbur or a spirulina, they specifically block that STAT6 gene I talked to you about before. So we gotta try, and sometimes for people, if it's a really messed up histamine pathway, I'll attack it from multiple different angles, but I'm not just picking off the shelf, lowers histamine, great, let's throw them in the cart. We're being intentional about which molecular step is that helping with the histamine. Mm, Yeah, so
1: I wanna kind of repeat back what I took away from it and make sure we're on the same page here for my audience. So my understanding is that like, I'll use myself as an example. So most of us who can probably relate to what you were describing as like ADHD and stuff, right? Especially, you know, like no wonder we're both entrepreneurs and stuff. Like imagine trying to sit in a cubicle, right? And just do the same thing over and over. It's like, I'd rather not live. Yeah. So a lot of my audience is going to relate to that, right? We've all chose to, we live an unorthodox life. We're not following the straight and narrow path and all that. And so a lot of us have been kind of black sheeps our whole lives, and been told that we're just like, oh, we, we didn't fit into school, we didn't get good grades, we didn't, you know, we don't have the good job and all that, which I consider a good thing now. But a lot of a lot of people can, you know, really get messed up in their younger years because they never fit in. Oh, and you're were,
0: so sensitive. You're so this. You're yeah, so that. So, yep.
1: You know, they were never told or validated that they were worthy or whatever. So, so with this ADHD thing, what I'm understanding is that there's an underlying assumption a lot of us are making of okay. My brain is like has trouble focusing. So I need to take something to raise everything to help it focus faster. And what I gathered from that content that you put out around ADHD was like, what if we question the underlying assumption? And instead of thinking about it in terms of like, let's raise X, Y, and Z, like dopamine, adrenaline, et cetera, so that our brain, so that I think the way you said it in the video was like, so that our thoughts can keep up with. Or so that our brain
0: with with the hyperactivity. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So instead of that, what if we go deeper than that at why, why is our, our brain kind of uh, operating this way in the first place? Why is the histamine so high? Right. And then addressing the histamine. And then it's like, instead of needing to upregulate your brain, you downregulate your stressor. And then all of a sudden your brain kind of operates how you're seeking for it to operate
0: anyway. Is that kind of the idea here? Yeah, more or less, yeah. And take it one step further too. As I mentioned, high histamine down regulates the production of dopamine. So, and you know, I've used Adderall like throughout college, like when I need a cram, like for like 12 hours, like I would utilize it for that. I don't think that's the end of the world. I'm not condoning that. But at the same point, it's more so the daily usage, getting addicted. I've worked with a lot of people to get them off of Adderall because they cannot get out of bed without it. It's a very, very slippery slope. Now, high histamine down-regulates dopamine production in the brain. So A, your brain is hyperactive. It's qu- it's moving very quickly, but it's kind of foggy, but you can't really cognitively sift through things. So there's low dopamine. So they give you a medication that dumps a shit ton of dopamine and adrenaline. Mm -hmm. So you see how that can work for people. It does work very, very well. But again, if we work to lower the histamine, the dopamine can come back. And now, of course, someone on even a low dose of Adderall has more dopamine than anyone could have naturally. You know what I mean? Like, it's not even like a comparison physiologically relevant, but yes, like you said. And again, why is the histamine high? Are you eating high histamine foods? Are you eating foods you're allergic to? Are you allergic to plants around you? Do you have low vitamin D, which raises histamine? So again, it's not just, let's just give you an antihistamine, which, or do you have parasites or mold? These also lead to brain fog and high histamine, or in reality, everyone's a combination, a unique blend of multiple different things. And that's really in a nutshell what I try to work with people to do. I give you all the possibilities. And you'll remember during our call, I gave you some diet recommendations and I'm not even telling you that these foods are going to be horrible for you. But like another thing, for example, is, you know, sulfur is something that makes your cells release more histamine. Yep. So example I like to give, I love Mediterranean food. I love tzatziki sauce. And Mm -hmm. I noticed I would get headaches after eating tzatziki sauce. And what do you know? It's very high in garlic and onions, which is very high in sulfur. I have mutations. That CBS gene I mentioned earlier. That's linked to sulfur sensitivity. My gene, my cells make extra sulfur all the time and they break it down slower. I have higher baseline sulfur levels. So if I take high sulfur supplements like glutathione, N-acetylcysteine, sulforaphane, alpha-lipoic acid, I'll get brain fog. I won't be able to focus as well because the high sulfur is releasing the histamine which is giving me the brain fog. Same thing with the garlic and onions. And um, if I have a little bit of that, again, it can affect my sleep. So you see, these are all, and I tell people, I'm not saying you can never have garlic or onions again, but how I've changed so many people's sleep just by having them eat low sulfur and low histamine for dinner. How many people have tomato sauce with a bunch of garlic and onions, high histamine, high sulfur and then they're restless. One other quick story about me. I know I don't do well on tomatoes. I get a headache right away. My wife made some uh, marinara sauce with some chicken and pasta. I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'll have a tiny splash of tomato sauce. I have it for dinner. I go to bed shortly after. I wake up in the middle of the night, bro, like wired, so <laughs> restless. I had to go downstairs. You know, I had to go like hit the bong to try and just like calm myself. I, I was just so like, <laughs> I dialed my, drank my CBD, all my stuff. And I was like, what is going on? I had the tomatoes. I went to bed and I went, I rolled over in the middle of the night. You know, when you like wake up or you go back to sleep, I woke up with high histamine as if it was morning time, but you know, eyes wide open two 30 in the morning. And what else, that was the only new variable that I had. So again, how many people take so much downers, whether it's supplements or medications to sleep When it's the histamine and sulfur they're eating. I want to be very clear, everybody. I'm not saying, I don't know how many people this affects, but I used to think I was one in a trillion, the most sensitive guy on the face of the earth. Then I started my practice, and most of the people I work with are the exact same or very similar to me, being so, so sensitive. These little minute details that conventional medicine and even holistic medicine don't pick up on yet. I'm just here to let you know if I can give you 15 things. That'll each help you 3% for your issues. That's 45% better. Some things may be 80% of your issues, but I'm the guy, I'll give you all the information in an easy to digest format about pattern recognition. Hey, here are some foods that make you feel worse. Once we get the supplements working and we lower your histamine, now you'll feel normal. Once you feel normal, you can identify what's triggering you. If you're always triggered, if you always have brain fog, like most people I work with, they're not going to be able to tell if gluten's messing them up or this food or that yeah, food because yeah, yeah. they always have brain fog. Once we kind of thin the herd, drain the histamine bucket, and you could feel less foggy, it's a lot easier to notice none to minimal inflammation to more inflammation than it is to notice moderate to high inflammation to a little bit more. The, the contrast is very hard to tell. Then I have people that they'll email me three months after we work together. Oh my God, I had no idea how sensitive I was to sulfur. I actually use well water. I live out in the country. I got it checked. All my water is very high sulfur because it's well water. I went out to eat the other day and I ate something. I didn't feel good. I remembered what you said. I Googled the food and it's high in sulfur. So like these are the types of things, I think kind of a different way of coming at it to educate you about these patterns that everyone else isn't even aware of. Because again, looking at the genes, again, if you have like two sulfur mutations, I may not mention it to you. If you have six or seven, I I'm want to mention that at the call. So that's, again, that's why I you say it's not how just personalized. Let me see. Just, I can actually pull that up right now. Let's see.
1: Because you mentioned it to me and that this one has been a big game changer because I was taking NAC. I would periodically take glutathione. Yep. Um, I was taking, and then mo- a lot of my diet, like some of my favorite uh, accent foods are onion, garlic, etc. So when you broke this down, it was like, Oh, wonderful! So I'm basically like poisoning myself daily with a ridiculous amount of sulfur, yep. and um, then I'm taking things to try to counteract how like quote unquote stress. Get ibuprofen.
0: You're taking that or the inflammation. Yeah. So you had, so you had one mutation in that CBS gene. You're making more sulfur, and one mutation in how you break it down. So you're you're, you're kind of similar to me, but you also had a uh, Molybdenum. I say molybdenum. Most people say molybdenum. Mm-hmm. This is the micronutrient your gene uses to break down sulfur. So it's called the suox gene. S U O X. This is the gene that breaks down sulfur in the body. Both of us, it works genetically slower. But you also had a harder time absorbing molybdenum. So you see what I'm saying? How these mutations synergize together? Because your suox gene will always work slower. So let's just say if it works 50% as well if you're deficient in molybdenum, maybe it then works half as well. So we're at 25% activity. But if we give you enough molybdenum, it can get up to 100% of its capabilities, which is 50% activity. But you see why there's a reason why you can't just add more, 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 because the limit will be the genetic mutation. Mm. But this is why looking at mutations for different cofactors you need are so important as well. You know, I mentioned to you that the COMT and that HNMT gene, that histamine gene, they both use E to function. Well, there's also mutations that I think you actually had as well, that AHCY gene, that means you don't make as much SAM E. So you yep. see how, and this is where my approach is I, I, unique from my perspective, connecting these different dots yes. here. And I call building the Lego set. It's not just the laundry list of genes, one gene here, no mutation. I didn't tell you about any genes you don't have because there's so much juicy stuff we could talk about I don't want to waste your time with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like you're telling, you're connecting the dots and and telling a story rather than giving a bunch of unrelated bits of data. You're weaving them together of why these things. And that's the
0: problem with the space. That's the problem I see. You need to have a narrative around your body. And then we'll be talking about some mutations in the beginning. This makes more of this. And then later on, we'll be like, well, this also doesn't clean it up as much. So we connect all these dots. It's like, no wonder why X has been high your whole life, or Y has been low your whole life, and these are patterns to look out for. Hundred
1: percent, and that's why you know this was a this was that next layer for me of like yeah. I'm already doing all these amazing things, but here's some areas like really my my biggest takeaway from working with you was how much I needed to subtract. Yeah, it wasn't the typical story of undernourished, not doing XYZ. It was like doing too much, subtract these things. And it's been a game changer with just some swaps. Like, I think I was taking about 40 things, like I said, coming to you. And you were like, yo, at least for the foreseeable future, like, take these 10 to 15, like no more and remove all these other things.
0: Yeah, I think we could touch on 2 I'm trying to remember, I think we should touch on two. a lot of supplements that so that's C O M T gene, the adrenaline that makes, stuff. Yeah. So that C O M T gene. So ours, actually, let me double check. I you could name a bunch if mutations. you want. So, yes. Yeah, so let me see. So you had no. So you had the one mutation there. Your M A O was also slow. But long story short, we both break down adrenaline slower than usual. Now a lot of supplements out there, guys, will block these genes and raise adrenaline in the body. Now here's the catch. He's going to name some that he was taking that did this. And again, what I do is I say, hey. These are not toxic for your body. I mean, he bought them because they do a lot of good things in the body, but it's all about the pros versus cons. Yeah. And for each person, the pros and cons are different intensities or different strengths that can make it a net negative for you. So what, what were some of the ones that you were taking?
1: Yeah, so first off, Rodeo, Rodeola rosea has been a staple in my life for years. It's been my favorite adaptogenic, nootropic, et cetera. That was a big one. Then we have things that were totally like, what? like berberine, which is an excellent glucose disposal agent, uh, lowers uh, blood sugar and and all that stuff, heart health, yeah. et cetera. And then you have things like astragalus, which are incredible for kidney health, detox, lymphatic function, one of my favorite kind of detoxers, detox supports. Um, and then methylene blue, another absolute, I mean, You could have a whole rap sheet of the benefits and I've never once seen anyone mention and I've, out of the different nootropics, methylene blue is one that I know a lot about and never once come across anything about it boosting adrenaline. And so, you have this aspect of, and once again, I'm the type of person where I'm not taking one thing. I'm taking a stack. And so, I might wake up and in my day, I'm starting off with, you know, maybe Bacopa Saffron, Lion's Mane, Methylene Blue, and Rhodiola. That might be my cognitive stack for the day. Because once again, I don't take caffeine. I'm running three businesses. I have a team of 11 people. I work out. I'm in a relationship. You know what I mean? So high-performing individual, that allows me to go all day. But then every night, I'm like, okay, now I need to take a serious PM stack because I'm like up here. And I'm like feeling a
0: little anxious now, even though I just crushed the day. You've been, you've been accumulating... Since you slow down the breakdown, think about it. You're accumulating adrenaline throughout the day. And that's one thing I've noticed as well is I can take some of these things and I'll feel great as the day goes on. I'll start the day and be like, oh, I can take this. I'm fine. By the end of the night, I'm like, yeah, I call it the monkey on your back feeling. So if any of you guys listening, you're taking supplements. And you feel like you can never feel totally at ease. End of the day, you had a great day. You're trying to just relax by yourself with your significant other, with your dog, with your whatever. You feel like there's like a monkey on your back. There's just some like ick in your body. It's very, very likely you're taking. There's dozens. I mean, I've identified dozens and dozens of herbs, commonly used supplements that are promoted all over Instagram, all over the place. And again, they do have good benefits but they could be raising your adrenaline. And I don't care who you are. If a supplement makes you feel more stressed, less safe in your own skin, or affects your sleep, I don't care what benefits it has, that's not for you. Because those are the absolute pillars for having optimal health in the first place. And you're regarding the methylene blue too, as well. Methylene blue also inhibits nitric oxide. Now, nitric oxide is a very important molecule in the body as well. And again, I've heard people that do wonders, works wonders on methylene blue. I don't tell people, you know, you're an idiot if you take it or not, but imagine if they put on all the labels of all these supplements, raises adrenaline, who would buy it? And I, here's the thing too, I don't think it's misleading because I will guarantee you, the people that make these supplements, the manufacturers, they don't even know this. They're just, again, up oh, rhodiola, adaptogen, catchphrase. Let's do it. Let's throw our brand on it. Let's throw, like I saw an Oshawa mag, like ashwagandha and magnesium. Let's just take two things, put them together, market it, and just pump it out. I don't like ashwagandha either. It blocks a certain type of serotonin receptor. It does great in the short term for stress. It causes effects similar to SSRIs in a lot of people. Anhedonia. Yeah. Music doesn't hit. Food doesn't hit, yeah, little sex dulled doesn't out. hit, just very, just monotone. We remove that within four or five days. They're back to their old selves. And I can look at the genetics if that receptor will be more sensitive for you. Yeah. And I used to, that was another one. So I took
1: rhodiola and ashwagandha as a stack for years. And those that was my favorite duo. Well, well it's crazy that too anymore.
0: that they're both, well, it's crazy too that they're both considered adaptogens,
1: adaptogens.
0: but they work why. incredibly differently. Yeah. Ashwagandha lowers cortisol. cortisol. Yeah. I mean, rhodiola also can lower cortisol, but it raises adrenaline. So people don't understand that adrenaline and cortisol, they can feel the same, but they're different entities. Yeah. So I have heard people, they take rhodiola before bed and they sleep better. I don't know how I could never in a oh, million years, know. But some people do say they sleep better. And I don't Boost doubt their dopamine experience. dopamine before bed; you'll sleep great. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess because it's lowering the cortisol. I guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. but like, yeah, a lot of other stuff we could use to lower cortisol instead. But yeah, that's that's one of the most common things I see. And imagine, guys, I see people that come to me; they're anxious, they feel horrible, they're tense, they don't sleep, they haven't slept in days. They come to me on crazy doses of methyl vitamins. So they're making extra adrenaline and they're on sometimes five or six different supplements that slow down the breakdown of adrenaline. These people, a lot of these people have very short fuses or tempers. I've worked with some people, men's wives will reach out to me and tell me like, I'm having my husband sign up. He's so stressed, but doesn't realize it. He is very short, but doesn't realize it. And we end up getting someone off of all these things. And then we throw in a lithium. So not only are we removing the things that are raising adrenaline. That was me, man. We're giving people things to help them break down the adrenaline. And some people, I'm not saying this is you, some people, they're like, this sucks. I don't like this because they're addicted to the adrenaline because it did help them perform for so long. It's all about finding a happy medium. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, what's weird is that wasn't my path. Like I've been,
1: I've been, you know, no caffeine for many, many years. I'll sometimes cycle it, but in general, like you got, off you, that, got you got
0: your adrenaline elsewhere.
1: Yeah, no stimulants, etc. And then I'm, I'm thinking I'm taking, you know, adaptogens, and so it's like I don't even view them as a stimulant. And one day I'm like, okay, what is going on here? Like meditating every day, you know, grounding, PEMF, breath work, anti-inflammatory diet, sunlight, exercise, sauna. I mean, I'm cold. I'm doing everything, and all of a sudden. I'm like, all right. I'm sitting with myself, and I'm like, this does not make sense. Like, I should feel like a god. Yep. You know what I mean? And that's where it's like one of my favorite uh, quotes is like, when things aren't adding up, subtract. And it's like, oh, I like was, that one. Who's yeah, that from? I, I came up with that actually. Myself. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Because like in my introspective journey, whenever things, whenever we're at a crossroads or we feel stuck in our life, what does our mind go to? What do I need to add? What's the book? What's the course? What's the mentor? What's the supplement? But often, if you really sit with yourself, it's always a doing less because being is where we heal. Doing isn't really where we heal. So this was just another situation where you remind me of like, yo, things had just built up over time. And it was like, no, it wasn't some crazy thing where I needed to go into the jungle and do ayahuasca for three days. It was like I was taking six things that were flooring my adrenaline and I wasn't feeling like myself.
0: And all of a sudden we remove them and it's like, oh. (laughs) <laughs> i mean pre- man, it, is, it is crazy too dude the number of like i remember when i first started posting about this adrenaline type stuff a lot of people were like you're fear-mongering this is bs and this was when i was first getting started i only had a few thousand followers and i would like that's when i let that shit get to me but then i got like 20 30 dms oh my god i looked at my supplement my adrenal support it has astragalus. it has rhodiola it has tyrosine it has the I removed it. This is the first night I slept throughout the night in eight months since I started taking it. I had dozens of of comments and people reaching out. It really does matter for a lot of people. And also, I think people with less inflammation notice this more because again, you can really notice these shuttle shifts and things. But again, who would have thought that their adrenal supplement that's supposed to heal them Literally. that their naturopath put them on is making them feel like their skin's crawling. Yep.
1: Yeah. I think you need to double down on this because I'm telling you, yep. like especially with, you know, this day and age, like most people are, you know, doing the multiple cups of coffee. They're also starting to, especially as health is trendy the last five to ten years, you know, it's it's trendy to drink this proprietary drink that's now a nootropic, or to take this limitless thing that's a whole proprietary thing and you don't really understand nootropics. So you're taking a stack of them, but you don't realize that. And then you're having your coffee or two throughout the day, and you're sitting in front of blue light all day and you don't ground and you don't meditate, and it's like, I think it would be very, you know, I th- I just think it's important. I've oh, seen, yeah, I've seen the shift, you know, just in a matter of two months or so. So I want to segue from this because it's connected into that was one of the biggest shifts was removing these things for me. The second biggest shift was lithium, which we have touched on a bit, but I would like to to go a little bit deeper so my audience can understand. So. Can you explain why you recommended lithium for me specifically? And then walk us through what lithium's doing on a cellular level, uh, maybe in terms of like methylation and like what is happening that allows me to feel so relaxed. And I want yeah. to say one thing real quick before we start. So when you had me get it, you had me buy a one milligram and five milligram. And you basically told me everyone's different. Uh, start with the you know lowest minimum dose. So. I uh, start with one and then eventually over time, you know, if you're, if you're having a more stressful day or stressful week, or a- as you build up over time, you could eventually get to five. And so I was thinking like, okay, like I'm an all or nothing guy, right? So I'm like, okay, one milligram. <laughs> so I, I take one milligram at, it was like 3 p.m. I'm not a nine to fiver. I don't work like grind hard all night. Like I, I have my productive work block and I'm usually winding down at two or three. So it's like three o'clock, sun's still out, you know, enjoying a nice view on our balcony, and uh, I take the lithium. Within a minute, I felt like I was slapped by like a psychedelic. I, I mean, the the I'm like feeling, I'm hearing birds chirping, I'm feeling the ground, I'm feeling present, like at a level where I'm like, what the fuck? And I'm like, babe, I don't think this is placebo, but I'm kind of tripping right now. Like I don't think I could drive right now. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. So the, I didn't tell you this since. Yeah. We, yeah. So that was my first. Not, ex- not the normal reaction, by the way, people. But yeah, I, that, was, my, that was that's my first re- really interesting. That was my first reaction. And I was like, whoa, thank God I didn't take the five. Yeah. And then, um, you know, it chilled out in like 30 minutes or, or an hour. And then I was like, this is fucking amazing. Like it, it was. And I think what it was, this is at least how I picture it, is like I had just built up like so much pressure and that was just like the
0: valve.
1: You and so you were also, you were used to that
0: adrenaline. That was your baseline. I should have
1: been experiencing, yeah. and so it just felt insanely euphoric and strong. But then, like over time, I I kept up with it. Right. Once we figured out that the melatonin was the weird thing in my stack, then I I tried it again, and it was like, oh, there was no weird feelings with that. Then I was like, okay, let's work up to two. Let's work up to three. Now sometimes I'll take five, but I usually am doing more like three ish. Um, and and it's amazing. So, yeah, break down for us what is going on in my in my body and
0: and who is this usually helpful for? Yeah, the main mechanism I like this for is that the COMT gene we talked about and also the MAO gene, these are the only two ways your body breaks down adrenaline. Now, these are commonly mutated to work slow in a lot of people. Both the yours are slow, both mine are minor slow. Go figure, we're go-getters, also more prone to anxiety, being it may not even necessarily be anxiety. It could just be being too dialed in a lot of the time too. Too focused where stuff around you that matters, it may be like, oh, whatever. You're just too dialed in. It helps speed these up. So I like to say, imagine if you could just suck out, I'm throwing out a number here. There's no studies on this exact number, but imagine if you could just suck out 25% of the adrenaline in your bloodstream, just the adrenaline, leave everything else and suck it out. That's more or less what it's doing. Um. Now, it also... Um, binds certain serotonin receptors. So it can actually help uh, stimulate the serotonin signaling. Um, Believe it or not, I'm pretty sure it can actually dampen that serotonin 2A receptor as well. Because if you think about it, they've used lithium for not just bipolar depression, but schizophrenia as well. So anecdotally, I'm trying to think the last trip I did, was I taking lithium or not? You know, I wonder if that could dampen. You see where I'm getting at here. If that could dampen that receptor, But the lithium, this is lithium orotate. Lithium bicarbonate is what they use for bipolar depression. Crazy high doses. This is a newer form that gets the brain a lot better. They sell up to 20 milligram pills. I've seen people put on 50, 60 milligrams by naturopaths. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Why? And that just goes to show like my philosophy is let's not mega dose any supplement. Let's do low, low to moderate doses, usually on the lower end across multiple pathways that you need the most support for rather than mega dosing. um, So it's speeding up the adrenaline breakdown. It's enhancing certain aspects of serotonin signaling. And it also can make your dopamine two receptor very commonly mutate. I think we both had that as well. It can make you sense certain types of dopamine better. Mm. So basically we're dialing up serotonin and dopamine while lowering adrenaline. And that can really feel as good as it sounds. So I think those are the main mechanisms. Like you're not gonna feel a shift in methylation within an hour of taking it you know what i mean so that's more so the increased breakdown of the adrenaline um as i mentioned it also helps you bring uh b12 and folate inside of your cells and they've done studies that taking lithium decreases vitamin b12 levels on blood work but what they said was we believe it went down because more went into your cells so lithium's also been shown to help with chronic fatigue you get more b vitamins into the cells you're making energy in the cells, not in your blood. Now I'll show this as well. I actually had a client, uh, we had a follow-up call, actually right before this. Um, he took the lithium and woke up very anxious. So occasionally, I'd say maybe, I'd say less than 10% of the time when I recommend this, probably even less. Because um, you know, guys, genes can tell us a lot. I always go by how my client feels first. So if we have a bunch of genes pointing towards a supplement, we try it, they don't feel good, we'll pivot. I always listen to my, my clients saying. Um, so he he didn't like that. He felt horrible, anxious three days in a row taking one milligram. So as I mentioned, that serotonin 2A receptor, he had a couple mutations there. So if this lithium is lowering signaling of that receptor and his receptor already doesn't work as well, I had a new idea, hypothesis, that maybe that already isn't working as well. So we're blocking more of that serotonin signaling. So even though it's lowering his adrenaline, the serotonin system made him not feel good on it. So mm. what did I do? We're not doing the lithium. I had him get some of the cognizant, the cognance. Mm. So now instead of blocking the activity, we're going to try stimulating that and see how that works. That's a really good like bird's eye view, kind of how I approach these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Molecularly, we blocked it, didn't feel good. Let's try stimulating a little bit and see how he does. I have a feeling he's going to feel a lot better. He struggles a lot with the anxiety and intrusive thoughts. Um, it also can help lower the production of arachidonic acid. This is a pro-inflammatory omega-6 fatty acid. We normally need it in our body, but some people make higher amounts of it. The Mediterranean diet helps lower arachidonic acid, lower in omega-6s. So it it lowers arachidonic acid in the brain. High arachidonic acid is like the mood disorders. So there's mm-hmm. so many converging mechanisms here. It really, really flies under the radar. And if if you struggle with anxiety, I say, try one milligram of lithium or you know, you might make it be a little more anxious the next day, but it's relatively minor. A bottle's like 10 bucks. Um, and now with lithium as well, it is a metal, you know, if people are taking any more than two or three milligrams per day, I'd recommend cycling it. And this is why I also work with people. Let's say you're taking five milligrams for a month or two. We should find you another good mood-altering supplement. So when you're off of that, you go to this one and you could cycle these things back and forth. And I don't know if I told this to you, they've done studies. Lithium is naturally found in our drinking water. The higher the concentration of lithium in a population's drinking water, the lower the rates of anxiety, depression, violent crimes, and suicide. So we're all consuming lithium on a daily basis. It just depends how much. And I think Mm -hmm. Japan has some of the highest rates of lithium in the drinking water, I did some crude napkin math based on the study. They consume around two to three milligrams of lithium a day, roughly. So that's why I say if you're taking one to three milligrams per day, I don't think that's a huge, huge issue, but some people take five, 10, 15 milligrams. I would not recommend that long, long long-term. You want to kind of cycle on and off. I don't know if I said this earlier, I was taking five milligrams each night last week. I went down to four, three, two. I've been on one the past few days. And honestly- I've been feeling good. I might go down to zero for the first time in a while. And it's interesting to just show you how my brain works, how in tune I am, how I conscious I am about these things. I told my wife, I'm like, I'm not anxious today. I just feel like I'm flying right now. Like I want to go conquer the world. I want to go do fun things. And I think that's because as I'm slowly removing the lithium, my adrenaline will bounce back. And the more adrenaline, it doesn't always cause anxiety So you see what I'm saying? I've went from five milligrams to none. And I was pretty anxious because you had that rebound effect. What a lot of people don't understand is supplements have withdrawals too. What goes up must come down. I think I told you this as well. When you were coming off of all those supplements that were raising adrenaline, if you cold turkey those... You may be very tired and be a little bit down in the dumps because your body is – you. it's basically like taking a drug that raises adrenaline. Think about a much, much more minor version of cold turkey and Adderall. That's what coming off of something that raises adrenaline can feel like. On the flip side, imagine coming off of a Xanax withdrawal. Again, much light years, light years less intense we're talking about here. But you see what I'm saying? If your body's used to chewing up more adrenaline – Your body will adjust how much adrenaline receptors you have. Your body changes to adapt to what you give it. That's why you have the honeymoon stage with supplements. You'll start week one and you'll be like, oh my God, this is amazing. And people will tell me, I felt amazing the first two, three weeks. Now I don't feel as good, but I tell them, I ask them, do you feel better than you did before you started the supplements? They say, absolutely, without a doubt. I'm like, okay. That was your honeymoon phase. Your body's adapting to these things. That is normal. Um, so yeah, lithium, absolutely love it. It's definitely not for everybody. I used to recommend the five milligrams at first to people. And then I had some people tell me like, what the hell is this? Like, I can't get out of bed today. Yeah. <laughs> and then they end up going down to one milligram and they're like, okay, I feel great. So then, cause again, I don't have a textbook to go off of everything I've been doing for the past year and a half is a hundred percent in my brain. People ask me all the time, what podcasts do you listen to? What books do you read? I don't listen to podcasts. I don't read books. I'm just in my own reading studies, connecting the dots, whiteboard sessions, this and that. And I love doing what I do being all natural over the counter because you can be more exploratory and experimental. I'm telling you to take a supplement millions of people take on their own anyway. So I can have a theory based on very loose evidence but I'm still recommending something that's been approved that's safe for human consumption so I can experiment with that. And then what's the worst case scenario? Oh, that guy was very anxious. He wasted, I think, $13 on that bottle. whoop fucking do On to the yep. next thing. Totally. So
1: I'm glad you mentioned that. With the, with the lithium, so what would be a good thing to replace when you are cycling that, like for myself, if I've been taking it for a month or two?
0: Yeah, so, so some things that I do is if I'm, well, First off, you can see, I do think the brain, lithium is also neurogenic. So this is really interesting that you're also boosting neuroplasticity for this less stress circuitry. So this is something I I like like as well. You combined, if you combine calming agents with neuroplastic agents, you can be training your brain to have more calming circuitry, if that makes sense. So I'm coming down off the lithium. I notice sometimes I'm a little more like, you know, let's do this, let's do that. I wanna go for a second run today, that type of stuff. But like, I'm not going back to freaking out. So you may be able to come, and I would go down slowly. I would do two nights, two days on four, two days on three, go down slow. You may notice, you may not even need it all the time necessarily. But things I like to use, this is the only supplement I've seen that increases adrenaline breakdown. So it really is one of a kind, but what's another way to calm down your body? You can boost GABA. So I like some lemon balm, you know, that can help. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Like I like using lemon balm as cagely as well. CBD as well can help kind of calm down the nervous system as well. But you see what I'm saying? It's like you spend, like when I was taking modafinil, I swear taking that a few times a week for several months, I noticed that once I didn't take it, I still was like, all right, let's crush the day. Let's go, let's do it because my mind, you behaviorally adapt to these things. So that's like your new baseline. So if you're not doing it, you feel like you're doing something wrong. So it becomes that much easier to continue doing this work. Beautiful. All right. So as we
1: we wrap up, I want to be respectful of your time. So just kind of want to dive into this one last question and bring everything together. So can you – so this will be a multiple part question. Can you break down the most common mistakes that let's say already health conscious people like myself are making and how they might be approaching their health and longevity? And then I'll share kind of in my case, for example, I know how to optimize my brain and my neurotransmitters to create, you know, desired states that I might want to tap into on command. And so a lot of these supplements, they also feel really good, right? And then you kind of become – you want to take them. It creates that feedback loop. So like for myself, is your stance – like we talked about a lot of these agents that happen to be really beneficial, but they also raise adrenaline for someone like me and you who don't uh, pass that adrenaline as quickly. Is your stance uh, for for the people listening and for myself that like I should essentially – not not trying to use absolutes here, but is your stance pretty much that I should avoid these things indefinitely? Berberine, methylene blue, rhodiola, should they be avoided kind of permanently because of my mutations? Or like, how do you look
0: at this longer term? Yeah, so great question. So the answer is sort of, it depends. So like, here's the thing. So I've noticed any amount of rhodiola, I don't do good any amount of methylene blow, I don't do good. But hyperine, also called bioparine, black pepper extract, that's also a monoamine oxidase inhibitor. It also raises adrenaline. Um, cinnamon also raises adrenaline. Now, there are things that block COMT. They only raise adrenaline, noradrenaline, and dopamine. Then you have MAO inhibitors that raise all those plus serotonin. So if I take green tea extract that is specifically a comt inhibitor that is absolute nightmare zone for me because if you <laughs> think about it i'm not raising my serotonin along with it okay yeah. but i noticed if i need a boost if i didn't sleep good or if i had a long day i had a big workout and like now nah, i got i'm going out with friends i'm going out for the night and i'm just feeling a little sluggish i will take a low dose of piperine knowing it's an maoi to boost up my neurotransmitters. Cause then I'm going to show up super like, you know, alert, just ready to have a good time and like use it kind of like, imagine like some people use Adderall to party, you know, I'll use that to boost my mood, lower inflammation in my body as well. Um, same thing with cinnamon. So these can be used strategically just as long as you're being mindful of that. I mean, Hey, I want to be surprised that if you just got to put blinders on and crush like, deep work and you're going to be left alone for like eight hours, a rhodiola that day, maybe what you need, you know what I mean? But I think if you're going to be on the calls a lot with people, juggling a lot, of maybe admin stuff for your businesses, I don't think you want high adrenaline with that, you know? So it depends on the circumstances. And this is why I work with people, not just to get them foundationally healthy. Some people more along the lines of yourself that want to learn how to biohack. We help construct certain stacks that I have my foundational things. But if I got to be networking all day, I'm going to take things that make me more verbally fluent. If I just got to be left alone, I might take something like a piperine um, to kind of help me dial in. But the downside is, you know, if someone tries to disrupt me while I'm on these things, yeah. <laughs> then the adrenaline gets released and then you get more triggered, more stressed. So like, for example, I've noticed that, you know, if I take piperine or things that an MAOI. You know, if my wife tries to like, you know, in between calls, I'm I'm doing work, she comes and tries to talk to me. I'll be short and I won't and then she'll she'll call me out on it because she's a good wife, but then I'll just be like, shit, like I, my bad. Like I like I'm like, fuck. I didn't mean to do that, but I'll be like, yep, okay, yep. Cause I'm just like the adrenaline. I'm like, you're disturbing me. Yeah, yeah. Let yeah. me get back to work. So you see how <laughs> depending where you are, who you're interacting with, what you're oh, doing, yeah. I don't really like absolutes either. I really wouldn't combine multiple of them together though. You oh. know what I mean? Like I yeah. think, cause again, why does rhodiola send me off the deep end, low dose, but I can take a moderate dose of piperine and feel fine. A lot of advanced chemistry, you know, maybe, maybe piperine raises serotonin more than the adrenaline and serotonin. You know what I mean? So this is where the, le- we don't know the exact details, but I figured out through trial and error. And also, again, it depends what I'm doing that day. Um, I noticed these can really amplify whatever state you're in. So if I'm left alone to do my own thing, I'll be in the best mood ever, have a good workout because all the serotonin and dopamine I'm releasing by doing things I love, it's amplifying, amplifying, amplifying. Second a curveball gets thrown my way, I get, I'll get i get a letter from the IRS and it's not even anything bad. I just read it <laughs> from the IRS and I'm like, fuck, ugh. like the anime, the big lightning bolt through my head, black and white. I'm like, oh. And I'm like stressed. And then I open it and it's like, I don't know, happy holidays. It's just nothing even bad at all. (laughs) You know what I mean? And then it's like, then I notice I'll be like frazzled from that for another hour or so to get myself back down to normal. So it's like with great power comes great responsibility. I notice it's like, it's like a big, a huge ship. You steer it one way. It's very hard to steer it back the other way. And that's kind of how I view these things.
1: That's very helpful for someone like myself going forward. So uh, just real quick, what, what are some? What do you like to take for verbal fluency?
0: Um, so I like, I like piracetam. Um, hey, I like oxiracetam as well. Yeah, um, I like that. Um, I will do, I like choline as well, can kind of help with that as well. I've been taking yeah. phosphatidylcholine daily lately. I really have been liking that a lot. Um, you know, dopamine makes you want to do work. Choline, I feel like lets me have better like processing speed in my brain. Like I can yeah. retrieve memories quicker, I like, Thoughts come easier to me. Dopamine will be like, I want to sit down and do something I don't really want to do, but yeah, because of yeah, the dopamine, yeah. I want to do it, you know? How about like a Huppersine A? Have you tried that? Yeah. So I like Huppersine A as well. Um, now, um, I, do, I don't I do use that too much anymore because I have a mutation that means I don't make as much phosphatidylcholine from choline. And I had that too, right? Yeah, that's yeah. pretty common. And that's linked to Alzheimer's. And that's something I'm used to seeing one to four mutations. Two out of my three Alzheimer's clients and one of my Parkinson's clients all had 10 plus mutations there. And it's like the Mm -hmm. neurodegeneration. So again, I mentioned the ammonia stuff before. One of those people had horrible phosphatidylcholine synthesis and high ammonia. If I took a time machine 10, 20 years ago and gave them phosphatidylcholine and L-ornithine to lower their ammonia... Would they have gotten Alzheimer's disease? I don't think so. But again, this is why I'm so incredibly excited for the future. Hopefully figure out a way to fund these studies because it's going to be very hard to do a study when every person in the treatment group gets something unique. Yeah. Like, you know, how do you really, so that's a whole other can of worms. Um, But yeah, the Hooperzine A, I used to put that in the pre-workout I would make. So it's a similar way to help boost that. Um, I just like doing more of the phosphatidylcholine since I have a harder time making that itself. But that also works as well. Cool. Lemon balm actually also raises uh, choline as well, along with GABA, which can be really nice because you'll have more choline to focus and retrieve memories, but you have more GABA to slow down the racing thoughts a bit. So you're not just skipping to the next thought. You can kind of really sift through and chew on a thought over and over and over again. Mm. People like us, very hyperactive, might be like, yep, bing, bang, boom, next thing I got to do for the day, instead of maybe really thinking it all the way, all the way through. Mm, So lemon balm acts on both of those things, not just GABA. Correct. Okay. The same enzyme, yes, the same enzyme that breaks down, uh, yes, it blocks both enzymes that break down GABA and acetylcholine. Cool. Good to know.
1: All right. Awesome, man. I think we've given my audience a hell of a- We could
0: go, we could, we could go forever.
1: hell of a variety of stuff to kind of chew on and explore. I want to end off by thanking you for your time and, and all the gems that you dropped. If you guys are interested in learning more about dialing in your health, your genetics, your lifestyle, make sure you guys give Tyler a follow. Um, can you tell us where my audience can connect with you, any sort of, uh, projects you may have going on and all of that so that they can, you know, check you out and get connected?
0: Yeah. So, um, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram is the main one right now, but 2024 is going to be a big year. You know, there really want to try to really expand and really bring this to the masses. So at Dr. Tyler Panzner, P P-A-N-Z A N Z is in zebra N E R. So there's two ends there. Um, my website, drtylerpanzer.com. Um, another thing too, I want to, I want to give anyone listening, uh, a little bit of a discount code. Cause right now I'm doing one-on-one deep dives. That's what Jeremy did with me. Um, I also just started a 12 week holistic genetic health mastery course. I'll be running that a couple of times a year. That's two hours, twice a week. Lectures taught by me, live Q and a discussion. It's all taught live We have all different types of people, functional medicine practitioners, practitioners in training, pharmacists, nurse practitioners, just intellectual biohackers and self-healers. If you want to really, we cover a lot. You learn a lot in the one-on-one deep dive, but this is if you really want to learn all the nooks and crannies about how I approach things on the hyper-personalized level. Um, So I have an email newsletter, information on that on my page to keep in the loop about that. Um, but I also, I want you to pick a discount code. I want to give anyone listening um, like a hundred dollars off uh, a deep dive with me. So what would you want your code to be for anyone listening?
1: Cool. So let's do J Griff 100. Cool. So that's J G R I F F just like all my socials.
0: One hundred. Awesome. Yeah. So I will leave that, you know, indefinitely any of you guys listening do a discount there for that. And yeah, really, really just getting started with all this stuff. You know, I've been doing this actually, I've been doing this basically a year and a week full time when I left my corporate job. So it's been moving so, so quick, but I just feel so aligned and grateful. And part of me is a little surprised on how well it works for so many people you know what I mean? Again, I'm not going to say it's the magic bullet here for everyone all the time, but uh, yeah, really onto something here. Looking forward to continuing to share my mission and help heal the world one hyper-personalized individual at a time. So thank you so much, everyone. Really hope you guys learned something. Uh, Please reach out. Um, Again, just getting started with all this stuff and uh, grateful to be on this mission.
1: Beautiful, Tyler. Thank you. And thanks for offering that uh, generous discount to my audience. I didn't know he was going to do that, guys. So if you're uh, you know into this stuff, definitely consider consider that and check out what he's got going on on his website. Outside of that, thank you guys for tuning in with us this week. Hopefully, you found this valuable and eye-opening. Yet another rabbit hole that you guys can explore in the health space. So you know that we're all about unconventional approaches to this trip called life. So, thanks again for tuning in. Drop drop in the comments below. What was your biggest takeaway? What did you like that we talked about? Is there anything that you uh, would like us to go into next time if we do a part two? We'll be reading all the comments. So thanks for tuning in. We'll see you guys next time. Peace and love.